yeah, yeah, we gotta. Didn't check. So I, I, I checked, and and let me tell you, there was there was some weird stuff uh, in my in my preferences today. Huh. Yep. It was like uh, like like my speakers were turned to zero. So when you when you called, I wouldn't have been able to hear you, even if your audio wasn't messed up. Huh. Now I well, you sound good I'm, now. I'm fine now. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's all road podcasters all the way down. <laughs> um, uh, listener to the podcast, uh, Provu Jim, Provu Jim, not Provu, uh, asked if we, if we got new mics mics yet because we still sound really good because he's one of the guys <laughs> who said yeah you you sound good and his his message which I love. Um, and continue to think about is don't F it up. Right. It's so, so we, we haven't, it's all, it's all relative, right? Like we sound good to each other. We sound good to our listeners. I still think about the Dubai Friday holiday party, um, and how bad I sound relative to let's just pick an arbitrary person, like say Tiff Arment, right? Like (sighs) I just, it's very, it's embarrassing. Right. Right. It, it sounded, I want to kick a trash can. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a reference. Uh, uh, it, it was so, um, it made me feel so inadequate <laughs> to to think. Oh, I I just want to. I need to sound. I need to sound better. It's it's like if you were watching something in HD on on your TV or 4K or on a new Apple TV 4K, how much better it would look. And thinking, how could I go back to just regular old you know a- antenna bunny ears on a black and white TV, which is what I feel like we are right now. But but as Jim says, don't f it up. Don't F it up. Don't F it up. Right. I feel like we just need to marry like somebody like Marco. Oh. <laughs> that he would fix all our technology. Yeah. Well, that not would that, be not that Tiff can't. I'm sure she doesn't even listen, but not that she couldn't do her own technology. Right. I'm just saying, you know, have, being Marco adjacent probably helps. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm going to apologize uh, up front for my voice. I'm a little gravelly. Uh, uh, I don't know huh. if you've noticed it. it. Maybe not because the mic's not not very good. Uh <laughs> But uh, I'm uh, I'm a little vocal gra- fry, Ben. People a little vo- yeah, a little vocal fry here. Uh, it's we're we're in uh, week three of the pollening here. Oh uh, yes, and, and so we we've gone through. I, I looked this up last year, and I'm not going to go bother and do this. But we have we have different pollens at different times. We the yellow pollen, which I think comes from pine trees, that was uh, like uh, two weeks ago. Um, and, and we have other tree pollen that's happening right now that, that, um, I I notice it when I, like, when I rub my eyes, if I'm outside, all of a sudden it's like, I've, I've rubbed a cat directly in my face, which I'm also allergic to. So, uh, so anyway, I've got a little, there's a little thing happening. So I I apologize to you. Cause I, I feel like my voice is not at, at its hundred percent game and I apologize to the listeners, but more to you. Well, um, you know, honestly, I blame North Carolina. And yeah, I blame the I blame the trees. I blame the trees too, and it's Earth Day. Um, not to well, so we we really should not be blaming the trees on Earth Day, especially. Right. Don't blame the trees. Don't blame the turtles. Although we have tr- <laughs> we have turtle content coming up. Two things for you. Uh, okay. One which you know about. One which you may not know about. Uh, okay. So so we'll get we'll get to that uh, as as we go along here. Um, 
I okay. So uh, this is the part. So so I've the, I got I got two things for you that that I want to start off with. One is it's always it's always two things with you. It's always two things uh, with somebody. Um, I uh, so so you know um, I've, I've expressed and talked about this. My the riskiest thing that I have done throughout uh, the pandemic in in fits and starts, and we are in a start right now is is playing hockey, and so mm. we got masks. Um, there you know the, there's a l- limit on. Uh, there's a lot of space and distancing in the um, in the dressing areas. It's certainly not a place that I would consider to have a whole lot of ventilation. Um, so, I, and it's one of those things where it's like I know I, I know for sure this is the riskiest thing. But we've talked my my um, my team all about. Um, we want to continue to do this, so we're we're all trying to we're all like you know dads and and trying to make sure that we're um, protecting our, our families uh, as well. But we, so we talk, we actually talk about this quite a, quite a bit, but that's not what I wanted to tell you about. What I wanted to tell you about was that uh, a couple of guys on my hockey team, turns out they're uh, closet listeners to our podcasts. Oh no. Yeah, no. So they, they, uh, one, one guy just, um, just spent a, a bunch of time in the car this last weekend and said that he listened to something like 35 episodes of Risky or Not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And nice. he, and he's like I really love it. I this is he said first of all it's, it's very it's it's like you've been talking to me all weekend because I hear your voice. Um and then and secondly he's like you know it's it's kind of the thing that I that I like. It's, you know, it's short. You guys got one topic, you move on to the next one. If it's something I'm not interested in, I don't listen to that episode. If it's something I'm interested in, I listen to that episode. So so it was cool. It was it was good. So so shout out to to three guys on my team. I will name them cuz they 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 are looking for me to name them. So so Richard Ethan and Curran all listen to these, uh, listen to our podcasts every once in a while. And they, they, they drop, like, I know they, they're listening cause they drop references to things. Um, so, <laughs> so it was, it's very, it's very odd, very, very interesting, very odd. Um, the second thing I want to tell you about is, uh, we're, we're not sponsored by, by this, but I, I have been watching a Netflix show that I think you might be interested in. I think Krista might be interested in, you may have already watched it. But it is with a British comedian because that's what we talk about, uh, British people. Um, it's this guy named Jack Whitehall, and it's a show called Travels with My Father. Have you? Do you know about this? Have you seen this? No. Okay. So, so the, it it is. Um, it's it's lovely. Uh, we Dan, Danny and I watched the first, I think, five episodes, the first season where they they travel to um, uh, together to um, Thailand and Cambodia and uh, and Vietnam, and it's uh, it's really it's really cool. Um, and it, it, the the premise is Jack Whitehall is he he was a uh, he's a comedian. He's, he's, I think he's like in his late twenties or early thirties. His father is in his seventies. His, his father is a, his name is Michael Whitehall. I think he's an agent, like a theatrical actor agent. So they, they come from the, the they are, um, middle-class, uh, as it, as it's known in, in the UK, which, which doesn't mean middle-class. It means you're, you're super rich. Um, <laughs> oh, it's like public school and private school. Right. Right. Um, I in fact just typed middle class Whitehall uh, Netflix, um, but uh, they they uh, um, it, it's really it's really it's really quite funny and they're charming. They they seem to genuinely like each other, but they both have really like you know a grumpy old man personality. Some of it seems mm-hmm. a little staged and mm-hmm. and and 
overly writ, but I but we enjoy it. So mm. you, you should you should check it out. Jack, yeah. But Jack Whitehall, I'll give you I, I will give you a a fair warning. He he's not for everyone, or as they say uh, in in the UK, uh, he's not everyone's cup of tea or everyone's cuppa. Uh, I think okay. is my, what they what they might say. Okay. Well, I I've just texted the Netflix page. To my to my lovely wife, and uh, we'll see what she says. Yeah, see, well, and, <laughs> as, as, as listeners to the show know, she controls the television. Well, and and she may have checked this out and and, and said and vetoed it. Yeah, this is not for us. This, yep. <laughs> which which is good. Well, it, does, it does kind of remind me a little bit. I mean, without knowing anything about it, it does kind of remind me of the that Ricky Gervais yes. show um, with what's his name? Um, uh, Carl, Carl, Pilkington. Carl. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like what, travels with Carl or so, whatever the yeah. one where they would put Carl into very awkward situations and watch what he did. Very, it was, right? it, yeah, it's similar. Um, except they're, you know, with Carl, Steven and, and Ricky would just call him on, on their mobiles. Uh, right. and, and, and then they would set up like, Hey, you're riding an elephant Carl. The, yeah. Um, this is, it's, I, I would, it, it's similar, but there's more, you know, uh, buddy cop kind of, kind of feel to this. Uh, you know? And, and it, idiot abroad is, idiot what, abroad. Is, yes. is, is yeah. what the, the, the Pilkin Carl Pilkington show is. Yeah. Which was, which was, was, was fun. And we did, I think we watched all of it and it was, it was, it was fun. So uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm up for it. I, I, I put it into the queue as they say in, uh, in England. <laughs> There's so much like there's so much that we do here that is is only about nominally making fun of um of people from Britain because we watch um so much of their stuff and and then we we try to butcher all of their their sayings. Uh well, I mean, we don't try to. We try to use them correctly. Uh and I well, think I think we are using them correctly, but it's but it's a it's a wink wink nod nod. Nudge nudge. <laughs> nudge Does nudge. Yeah, right, right. Wow. Which is a reference to another funny British thing. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. Um, so anyway, I, I'm, as I looked up um, Jack Whitehall, I did come across uh, just telling you about this. Um, it, an article that is that's entitled "It's Time to Admit Jack Whitehall Isn't Funny and Never Was." So, oh, okay, yeah, good. So he's got fans out there. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so yeah. So those like we. We've been we, we've been kind of doing that that show and I don't know there's not not a whole lot of not a whole lot of other new stuff going on here. We my kids have gotten into this show called Chuck, which was mm-hmm. on um, like network TV maybe ten years ago, and and it's so every night they watch like two or three episodes of Chuck. Um, I don't I'm like it's it's a it's background and I uh, I watch sports on my iPad. Well, mm. we're all we're all watching it. I don't know. Do you know well, anything about but- this show? No, no, but we discovered that the new season of Taskmaster is mm. dropping, and so we have we've been catching up on those. Have you? Do you? Did you know that that is happening? I, so I, I watched the first episode of that okay. on on YouTube, and you're, you're finding it on the like on YouTube somewhere, right? Or yeah, it's on yeah. It's, on, it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I, I like yeah. that about um about those shows, like uh, Would I Lie to You and and Taskmaster, and I watched. Some, oh yeah, I, I was telling you about this before the uh, um the. Uh, the quiz show, big fat quiz show, which was not, which was not your, which was not for you, or for Kristen. Well, it's not for for someone in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not. It wasn't approved, and it did make it into the queue. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, it made it into the queue, and then it was immediately ejected from the queue. <laughs> it wasn't completed. There was no loop closing on it. No, no. Um, yeah. So, so that you know, I don't know that that stuff's going on. It's been a weird, um, a weird couple of weeks. Uh, I think last time we recorded, 
I was a, just about to have a, a trip from a visitor from Canada. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we, if we talked about it, but my father-in-law uh, came uh, by, he's a, uh, um, he, he, he is transporting boats. Oh wait, this did, this came up because, yeah. uh, because maybe when we were going to record the other show in the part of the other show that no one ever gets to hear. Right. Um, because yeah, you had a, you said you were late because you had a conversation with your father-in-law and I'm yes. like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. like we weren't FaceTiming. No, he was, he was here for a couple of days and it was, it was nice. It was the f- oh yeah because he was like driving a truck or something <laughs> yeah he was driving a truck he was he he uh, he works now he's he's retired um, from from his his career job uh, but he he has this he's what, they call it a like a side hustle um, but it's but it's a retirement job where he drives to Florida to pick up boats that uh, a business in Canada has purchased and are resale- reselling them. So he he drives there with an empty truck. He loads a bunch of boats on in a trailer and then drives them back uh, to uh, to Canada. And and so he he was he was here it was very it, it was a kind of a you know there's a lot going on in Canada right now with uh, with like skyrocketing cases and and I in, in especially in in Ontario where all of our family uh, reside. There was an, I think the term was an emergency break is what they, they put on the, um, that they're calling all the restrictions, COVID related restrictions in, in Ontario. So it's, it's like a modified stay at home order. Schools are, are fully virtual. Um, and there, it really like odd, um, police, uh, related, um, uh, um, powers, I guess like right now in Ontario, a police officer can stop anyone without any probable cause from what I, what I understand, which that puts a whole lens on, you know, social things that are, that are happening here, um, in the U S like it's, it made that, that whole thing kind of made me, uh, super, super uncomfortable. But anyway, my, uh, my, my father-in-law was, was here. Uh, it, it was the first time that we've had like a visitor in 18 months. Uh, and in fact, he was the last visitor that we had uh, around the holidays of, of 2019. So it was, it, it, I don't know, it was just it, like, Don, the, having someone in your home and hosting them it, after not doing it for 18 months is, is something like, we, I don't know, it's not that we forgot to do how to do it, but it just, it felt very, um, very odd. Uh, Cause that's something that we would do all the time before, before the, the, the we were in a pandemic. So have you, and you're, I don't want to um, compromise your, uh, your hip OPSEC, your OPSEC <laughs> yeah. and HIPAA, but you're in the, you're in the process of, uh, of, of obtaining a vaccine, uh, <laughs> right? You should make it sound like we're trying to score some drugs. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the process. I got a guy. <laughs> you got a guy. Vinny. His name is Vinny. Well, you are um, in Jersey. So <laughs> yeah. Hey, forget about it. Um, yeah, no. So we, we actually, uh, I found out that they were going to have, uh, vaccinations at the, uh, hospital in the town where we used to live. And so I got an appointment and got an appointment for my wife at the same time. Uh, really enjoy, very enjoyable process. They, they, you filled out the form on the website and you said, and they decided whether you were eligible or not. And they said, that's great. You're in the, you're on the list. We'll call you to schedule an appointment. And I was able to get uh, an appointment for myself and my wife. And then we scheduled the second appointment at the same time. And so we, yeah, we'll go back in the first week of May for our second dose. Uh, again, same place, uh, same time. Um, and, uh, and then two weeks from then. So middle to late May, we should be fully, uh, as protected as we're going to be. Yeah. So. Well, and, and are you, so 
um, once you're fully and protected as you're going to be, and and I think you you mentioned maybe on this show or or some other point that we've talked that your parents are are now co- fully oh, and, and protected. Yeah, they right? they 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 were able to get uh, and they yeah and if fully uh, relatively quickly in in New York State. Um, yeah, it took it took a little while. It caused my mom some stress, but they but they they are now have and have been fully vaccinated for a while. But still still being very cautious, not yeah. going out a lot. Uh, being but you know being feeling more relaxed about going out when they do go out. Yeah, are you so are, are like are you planning uh, to to see them or trip or anything like that? Not 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 to put you on the uh, not not spot. really. Yeah. I I really I really I really like staying home and not going anywhere. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it was that. I mean, that was kind of the nice part about having um, my my father in law here was that I got we got to see him and and had a nice visit, but we didn't have to leave our backyard. Well, I mean, we had to leave our backyard to go inside to to, to sleep and eat, but it was mm-hmm. it was all here. Um. Yeah, it was, it was just, I don't know. I, I haven't, I haven't been able to really articulate it. It was just, it was, it was weird to have someone who we, you know, we, we've only, it, and it, it's not like we see them, our, our families all the time anyway, because they're, you know, a 12 hour, 13 hour drive away. But, mm-hmm. but, but there are lots of times in, in a year where, um, someone's either visiting us here or we're visiting them. Like it's, it's on, it was on a bit of a schedule in this last 18 months. Obviously that schedule has been gone. So it's, it was, I don't know. It was, we, it was weird, but it was also nice, but like to, to have it, have this, um, you know, have someone here and, and visit with us. I don't know. I don't know what I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but it was, a, it, it was an odd feeling. I guess. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To have, yeah, I, I completely understand. Yeah. And it's going to feel odd when we go back to no, start going back to normal. It's going to feel odd for sure. And this, this was part of going back to normal. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my hockey buddies, um, we've been talking about, uh, for a couple of years doing a, a, a sort of a, a road trip. We, we all know people throughout sort of the Northeast that, um, either we've, we, we played hockey with, or we grew up with, and we want to like go on this tour where we're going to play some, some games, uh, in, you know, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, you know, Buffalo. Um, and, and so we were talking about that last night. It's like, you know, what, what kind of sucks about this weird spot that we're in right now is like, certainly it feels like, um, there, there's less, the, uh, less immediate, concern, I guess, but also I don't, I I have no interest in getting on a bus or getting in a bunch of vans and driving around to a bunch of different cities to, to play hockey for a variety of reasons. One is I just don't think it's going to be that much fun right now. Like, and and I don't think it's going to be that much fun for like 18 months because it's not, it, it won't be what we wanted it to be two years ago. Um, you know, of like hanging out and just, you know, eating in restaurants and, and, um, you know, meeting, meeting people and, and, you know, I don't know. It's such a, so I, I feel like this is the, it's a weird part of this pandemic where so, and we, we saw this yesterday in, um, here in North Carolina on, on Twitter, our governor said, if, if the metrics look good, we, we plan on relaxing almost all COVID related restrictions June 1st. Cause right now mm-hmm. we're at like two thirds of our state is, have been um, fully vaccinated. I think like we're mm-hmm. getting, we're getting close to have of like people over the age of 16. But that immediately turned into this like discourse on Twitter of like, see, it's all done June 1st, everybody June 1st, we're going to have a big party. 
And I, I don't know. It's, it's weird, right? Like it, that's first of all, not exactly what, what the governor said. Secondly, it, it, it doesn't make like, I don't know. It's, it's not like, um, June, June 1st, 2021 is just like December 31st, 2019 here. Like, like, no, no. No, and and you know, and I was on a, fall, a call today uh, before the call with you, um, uh, before this <laughs> before this call that we're doing right now, which is not a call; it's a podcast. Um, but they were saying somebody was saying, well, you know, we predict we'll be at the level that we need for herd immunity um, uh, mid to late summer if the rate of vaccine uh, delivery continues. And it's like, well. Okay, but that may not happen, right? We may reach a plateau because there are certain people out there. Apparently, I don't. It's beyond me why um, that that don't want to get vaccinated. So, and we have to. We speaking of people that 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 don't believe in COVID. Um, I do want to give a giant shout out to Ted Nugent who uh, who got COVID. <laughs> so, could couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> I'm, did you hear this? Oh did yeah, I, did. Okay. I did. And I was, I think to, I shared it on Facebook. I'm I, not sure who I shared it with, but yeah, I saw it somewhere. I think I saw you. Yeah. You shared it and someone else who I follow retweeted it. Uh, what, uh yeah. What, what's, uh, um, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Ma'am. Yep. Yep. For yeah. COVID. Yeah. 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 Oh, good, good job, Ted. Yeah. Not, I'm, I'm not one of my favorite guys anyway, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, that including, I'm not a big fan of his music. Um, but, uh, I, yeah. I, I do, I have to say though, a good friend of mine from college, um, was a big Ted Nugent fan. And I did, I did listen to a lot of Ted Nugent because Leo, uh, Leo would play Ted Nugent. And, uh, yeah. And I, 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 I think I, I'm not sure. I know I haven't, I need to ask Leo what, what his opinion of Ted Nugent is these days, but, uh. Yeah, he was a big fan. Um, uh, and and but Leo's Leo's a good Leo's a good guy. I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't. Uh, he, I'm, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's excited to get vaccinated. <laughs> unlike uh, unlike Mr. Oh, Nugent. That, yeah, Teddy Teddy is his name. Um, yeah, it, it's it, so um, it's it's one of the one of these things. You know, you you and I are on uh, on this project together uh, where we work with the food industry around COVID issues, and certainly the conversations that we're having, um, you know, internally in our project with the stakeholders who are in the industry and in regulatory agencies are not like, okay, everything goes back to normal June 1st, right? Like, or, or even everything goes back to normal in 2021 or well, and, and yeah. yeah. And again, the call that I was on or or a restaurant related call that I was on, that was the, that was the discussion. It's like, well, how are we going to move back and, and how, and how quickly and what are we going to, you know, what do we need to keep doing? I mean, they didn't say hygiene theater, but there's like, well, we do, we do need to, I mean, this is me, we need to give a certain amount of hygiene theater because people expect it. Right. (laughs) So, um, that wasn't what they said, but, um, that's what they said, but but, I mean, but but, but essentially they're like, well, our customers expect it, right. Our customer. And that's a, any, and here's the thing. If if people expect more hygiene now, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, I would I would like people to worry about the right risks, right? Like I would want people to – like if you're at the salad bar, um, yeah, it's nice that there's a guy there cleaning the utensils. But mostly I'd like you to be wearing a mask when you're at the salad bar because you're not eating. You're just around other people. And so put your mask on to go to the salad bar and then, you know, and then and then, and then – go outside the restaurant to your car to eat as far as I'm concerned. Right. Right. I mean, I know that's not what restaurants want to do, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Or, or just be away, be away from other, other people. I put a bunch of, uh, things into the, uh, Dropbox, uh, today. Cause I was, oh, cool. I, I was, yeah, but I, so I, we, I, you say that it's cool. 
it, you're, you're going to find that it's not cool because none of it seems to want to open. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. I, I put yeah. some stuff in, which I'm pretty sure will open, but also I really, I, I want to close the loop on something and I want to stop looking at Ted Nugent's face. <laughs> so, um, I, I did want to met, so I rearranged things in the, in the order of the, of the Safari tabs, which is how we make our show notes. I did want to tell you about a show that we have started watching, uh, which is called the nevers. And so it's basically the X-Men except in, um, Victorian England. Um, oh. and it's not the X-Men, but it's people with powers and it's, it's, it's quite good. Um, it is, it is directed by, um, uh, someone who's problematic now, but it's, uh, and, and the, the pilot was written by this person. Um, who is the problematic person? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon. Joss he's, he's, we don't like him anymore. He's canceled, right? I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's the case, but, but it, it's a good show. I mean, it's a, it's a good show. So, so, I mean, he's canceled, but you know, whatever, if you got, if you got, if you got HBO, um, you know, you should, you should, I, I, it's worth checking out if you like, if you like Victor, here's the thing, it's right up our alley cause it's superheroes and it's also Victorian England. So, I mean, those are <laughs> it's just like, those are two, two things you don't usually get together. That's right. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll check it out. Is it. Um, can, can you, can you help me, uh, gauge what the, is it something that my kids can watch? Is this, uh, I don't know. You let your, you let your kids see boobies. Uh, I don't know. It's a great, yeah, it's, it's a great it's question. T- not, TVMA, there yeah, are boobies. There's boobies. Um, okay. So, yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's t- helpful. T- t- TVMA. TVMA. So. Yep. That's, that, that's help, helpful information. Um, in our in our annual uh, watch of Die Hard, uh, there there's uh, oh, there's nudity. Jesus, yeah, yeah well, so, and, and cursing. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, hey, cursing's not a problem in this house. Cursing, <laughs> cursing, cursing is just is just part of how we how we roll. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, sometimes uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so uh, I okay, so um, oh, actually, there's one other one other thing. Um, that I was going to uh, tell you about. So I, I've mentioned my, uh, my, my lovely wife, uh, Danielle loves, uh, you know, she's, she fits into a cliche of like, a uh, a white woman in her forties where she really, really likes, um, every true crime podcast and murder podcasts. So, so she, uh, took, uh, me last year to a live, uh, production of criminal, um, are you, we, I think we've, I've talked about criminal before, right? Like you, I'm pretty sure you have. Yeah. yeah. So it's a podcast that, that, uh, it's, um, it's about crime. Uh, it's produced here in, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, the host is Phoebe judge. Um, but criminal had a live show last night, uh, on YouTube and, and it was cool. It was, so we watched it with, uh, you know, the kid, we got, we got pizza, we sat around the YouTube box and, and watched a, a podcast, which is wow. Very, that's yeah. Really funny, uh, but it was cool. It was really, really, it was good. So it just, um, you know, it, it, it made me realize, and I, I may have shared this with you when, when we went live, uh, to see her, uh, you know, when, when you and I do a live, do a live show, it's really just this, right. It's you and me talking and we take questions from the audience. Um, this, what, what she put together is a production. Like she, it's, it's like a concert. Like she's doing her greatest hits. 
Uh, she's telling the, uh, you know, maybe eight or 12 stories. And as she goes from, from city to city, when she does the live show, it's, it, it, you know, she's got the timing down, there's PowerPoint slides behind her. There's some video of, of behind the scenes. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's fascinating, but it's also like, it's like a, it's like going to a produced concert, which is not, I, I've kind of wavered on this. It's like, I'd like to do something like that with you. I also don't want to do the work to do something like that at all. Cause it seems like it's a lot of production preparation work. I'm sure it, like it, it pays off and that's her, you know, that's her job, right? Like that's how she, that, that, that's how, that's her career is to, to, you know, do these podcasts, but also, um, supplement that with, with these, uh, with these shows. But I'm in awe of someone who's created a, a, a very popular podcast and then has this accompanying live show that goes with it. And it's, I, I, I took a lot from watching this YouTube video last night of, it was a similar format. Some of the same stories that we had heard when it was live, but some new ones, but it was very, um, it's very tight. Like, you know, it, it, but not in a way that's like, Oh, this is overproduced. It was, it was just, it was, it was fascinating from a, a process standpoint. So I don't know. I like, I, we, we someday you and I will do a live podcast again, and it will probably never be as as produced as as uh, this is criminal. No, and and I and I I mean I, my I do not like these highly I do not like highly produced podcasts. They're just not for me, right? Um, and that's and that's fine. I mean, it's just like it's not if it's not for you, it's not for you, right? I mean, it's so I wouldn't. I mean, it's just that's just that's just not for me. So yeah. Um. So I want to talk. I'm, I want to close the loop on uh, restaurants and COVID a little bit because I'm going to drop mm -hmm. you. This is one of the yes. things that I came came uh, across today, uh, and uh, dropped dropped it into the Dropbox, but it, it's not popping up, so you can't see it. So I just texted it to you. So this is something that we haven't seen really here in in the U.S. much. Um, and you and I are working on a uh, on a project looking at sort of dining risks. And oh yes, I do want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but but here's here's a, a situation in Calgary, um, in Alberta, in in Canada, uh, and uh, there is an, a, a cluster, a really large cluster at a, at a restaurant. Um, so there are 58 cases linked to this restaurant, Joey Eau Claire. Um, it's many of the people were staff, but it wasn't just staff in this, in this cluster. And that's one of the things that you and I've been sort of talking about mm -hmm. um, yep. here, but it was, so, so this uh, we'll link to this in show notes, but I'll, I'll read from the um, CTV news article, a $17 million class action lawsuit has been filed against the Joey restaurant uh, location in Eau Claire following a COVID 19 outbreak at the restaurant. Um, so this is about the lawsuit states that the business failed to take reasonable steps to protect staff customers and their immediate families from infection. And this is kind of at the nexus of the stuff that you and you and I are talking about. And again, this is the lawsuit. We don't, we don't know, you know, how it's what, what the, the term that we're supposed to use, I think that I only know from uh, what everyone says uh, in, in the public sphere is allegedly, this is what happened. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So what it alleges, the restaurant didn't do the things that are reasonable and expected people to take care of each other. Uh, as a result, there was an increased risk of transmissibility of COVID-19. And in fact, a whole bunch of people got sick as a result. 
Um, according to the statement of claim, uh, the two individuals, uh, Matthew Cornfield and his pregnant spouse, dined at the restaurant on March 13th, 2021. A week later, he tested positive. His spouse, who was 20 weeks pregnant at the time, also tested positive and has been hospitalized. Claim alleges that six other people were who were close contacts, including their parents, so um, became infected of, uh, as a result. Um, in, in the lawsuit alleges that the restaurant did not follow proper safety protocols set out by Alberta Health Services. Uh, that's the that's the piece that I, I kind of want to want to highlight here. Um, so, if, you know, the everything they don't go into the details um, about this. Uh, but you know, I, I think that the thing that you you and I have been focused on in in the world of restaurants is you know. Um, Distancing matters. Uh, mask use and enforcement of those policies matter. Um, keeping people from congregating or lining up matters. And I, I say distancing. I, I think of it in in sort of three different ways: this lineup and congregating. If it's a self serve area, um, server to uh, a table. That's that's a, a distance you know, need there. Uh, and then how close are diners dining from each other? All those things like that, that, that piece. So there's not a lot of details in this, but it's the first time I've seen an, a, like a lawsuit that's popped out of this related to, to a restaurant. And I, you know, who knows how far, how far this is, this is going to go. I think there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, potential issues here, right? Like how do, how do we know, or how does, how do they, they prove the, the plaintiffs prove that, or beyond a reasonable doubt that they, that they didn't do anything else to expose themselves. And and there was um, a paper that came out that we'll link to, I'll find here after I, I stop ranting about this, but uh, it came out from CDC last year that, that said that, um, you know, P places or people that went to restaurants were higher risk for COVID-19 and in their discussion and, and sort of some of the discussion that we had around that was, uh, is it possible that the people that go to restaurants are also doing other riskier things? We don't know. Right. Like, right. Right. So, so that, that's right. Because, yeah. because what, what we know, well, and, and we, you, we can get the, get the article up and talk about it, but it's really, you know, and this is why it's, it's fun to be a scientist and to like really learn to read things. Not that you, can't be, you can, you can, it's, it's fun to be a scientist and to read things critically, right? And not that you have to be a scientist to learn how to read things critically, but, but it, the details matter here, right? You can't just read the headline. You have to read, you know, or you can't read, just read the article title, right? You have to read into the details, you know, before you discover that someone's using a psychotropic bacteria as a surrogate for SARS-CoV-2, <laughs> for example, you know, just hypothetically, right? Exactly. Um, and, and, and yeah, and so, and this is, and the whole, I think will so, and this, and this is unique because it is a class action lawsuit, but I was contacted fairly early on in the pandemic by some lawyers that I had worked with before who, who do a variety of different things, including basically property law. And, and so they were anticipating a lot of lawsuits because around, well, and, and mostly it comes down to insurance companies, right? Like, so if I've got some sort of, uh, uh, insurance on my property that if that property becomes unfit for habitation or occupancy that 
um, I can claim, you know, I can claim my, ins- you know, insurance uh, against that. But then the question is, well, what makes a property unfit for occupancy? Well, if you have mold in the walls, well, that's now unfit for occupancy, right? Because you can't, you can't have people in a moldy building. But what, what if you have a hypothetical risk of if you let people into your property, there'll be COVID-19 or there'll be SARS-CoV-2 in the air and people will get COVID-19 from breathing that air. Is that analogous hmm. to, and again, it's up to lawyers to, to prove that, right? And, and yet people, you got insurance companies on, on, you know, on both sides, um, <clears throat> And you got lawyers involved, and then you got some experts like me. I, one of my one of my colleagues here at Rutgers reached out to me and said, "Hey, I was contacted by this company that is a they they match up lawyer they lawyers with experts, and they'd like to have him on as an expert." And I and he has never done any expert witness stuff before, and so I you know gave him my standard spiel, which is you charge a lot of money and you charge double for depositions and trials, and you get a retainer up front. Um, and yeah, it's uh, but it's 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 going to be interesting to see how this plays out. This that we will continue. This is going to be something that will continue to happen in terms of in terms of the law. And then what do you you know how, do you blame somebody for following CDC rules? And then what about the rules in the state? And it's just it's really it's going to be it's going to be a mess it's going to be a messy mess for a while not just in terms of public health but in terms of legal fallout because of public health decisions so right 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 and and i think that there are the you know going back to that that lawsuit conversation um early on there was a lot of push to to i you know I, i think like indemnify food sector businesses from spread of of COVID within their workforce. Right. Um, and, and so I, I just sent you a, a link to, um, uh, to an article in the counter, um, which is, I, you know, I, we mentioned on this podcast, one of my, my favorite, um, I, I guess in depth food system, uh, websites, uh, right now, I think it used to be called the new food economy and they changed their name. Uh, but anyway, they, they they kind of uh, th- you know three three writers there Madison McVan Ignacio Calderon and Sky Chatty um, go through a pretty deep dive on um, illnesses within meat and poultry packing facilities and it's an area that we've we've worked on with with you know lots of folks in in our um, on our project and and there's still lots of um, there's still lots of challenges there right and so it, um, it, it, uh, the you know the i guess the general thesis of this this article is um early in the pandemic the meat and poultry packing facilities seem to be driving infections in in communities and i don't really i don't you know don't really fully buy buy into that um but that's you know that that's the starting point and and then the second part of the article is and it's still a concern and and certainly that's exactly what the the op, the um industry folks that we work with are, are at, right. It's, it's so much behind the scenes. It's, it's so much different from, you know, uh, these are, these are terrible places and, and everyone should not look at them. Uh, it, it really is the, the industry trying to, trying to work with their members, um, you know, industry organizations trying to work with their members to, to be like, okay, what, how are we going to handle this? How will we keep going, uh, over the next, you know, couple of years as we, as we deal with this? And, and so anyway, this, this article talks about vaccines and, um, but still seeing cases, which is what we, you know, certainly what we would, um, expect to close the loop on, 
on restaurants, the paper that um, that I was uh, talking about was in uh, MMWR, uh, Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report, back in September 2020. Uh, and it's the uh, title is Community and Close Contact Exposures Associated with COVID-19 Among Symptomatic Adults Greater Than 18 Years in 11 Outpatient Healthcare Facilities in the United States, July 2020. Um, and so I really like the, the big... Uh, uh, the big takeaway here is that, um, and it's right in the you know right right in the summary. Um, adults with positive SARS-CoV-2 test results were approximately twice as likely to have reported dining at a restaurant than those with negative results. And and the you know the the question here is what what else do they do right? Like is it right? Yeah, <clears throat> and that, it, it, it's like it's like you said you kind of have to. The highlight is is important, but the um, critically looking at, at the papers and looking for those limitations matter. Uh, so, so anyway, that's, that, uh, th- this is something that, that I, 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 w- like, I feel like we, it, data, data emerges every day on this and, and there's not going to be a real clear answer. Like this is going to be a 10 year retrospective look back at sites in the, in the food sector that had higher incidence of, uh, of COVID than others. And, and we'll, it, it'll, it'll be a decade before we really get to why, like what those exactly what those, what those factors were, if we ever do. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So- and I'll say just in terms of this MMWR article, it is nice because they do have, statistics, right? And so the, the table in that figure, um, reports, <clears throat> p-values um, for various factors. And so one, the first factor that is significant is race or ethnicity, right? Um, the next factor that's significant is education, right? The next factor when it comes to the community exposure is restaurants. And and that is that is a different risk the the that risk the going to a restaurant is more is 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 apparently risky compared to shopping, being at home, being in an office, going to a salon, going to a gym even, right? Um, although you have to look at the number of people. And then, uh, and then again, um, in terms of restaurants, uh, looking at uh, others following recommendations in that restaurant, uh, and then it looks like, yeah, see, so this is, this is so it looks like within that, um, Following recommendations looks like that might also be significant, right? Right. So between cases and controls. So yeah, it's 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 going to take a little bit to parse this table. It's a not a it's not a super great table. I mean, I guess it's probably the only way they could have done it. But it, again, it just it just shows. And then there's other risk factors as well, like previous close contact with a person, relationship with a close contact known with COVID-19. Those are all all significant factors. And so, yeah, there's still there's still a lot we have to, to, to learn. But it's important to, to say that this doesn't this doesn't prove that going to a restaurant gives you COVID, right? What right. it says is that is a factor that is significantly correlated um, with with between cases and controls for this case control study with 300 people, right? Right, right, right. And and I and and one thing that I I continue to to think about in this in this uh, realm, whether it's a grocery store, a meat and poultry processing plant, a, a, a packing facility for produce, or a restaurant, it, not not all of these settings 
uh, contribute the same amount of risk to individuals who, who go in them because it, it's really, it, it's, it's about the combination of the tasks that are happening and the practices that are there and, and the policies and adherence to those policies, uh, around, um, risk reduction for, uh, for transmission. So, and that, that's like, that's the, that's the really hard part here. Right. I, I think to, is, is to figure, is to figure that out. Like I, I, I think that there are, um, certainly really risky restaurants out there. If you walk in and nothing, nothing's happening. Like it's, it's like COVID doesn't exist. And I think there are less risky restaurants, um, out there. If you walk in and, and all of the, um, you know, the recommendations are being followed and maybe, oh, you know, over the, uh, what the recommended, uh, distances are and, you know, just the, how, how risk averse the business is, uh, is, is, is probably much more important than if, is it a, is it a restaurant or not to me? Right. Right. And then again, I'm still so taking some time to further digest this table, like 40%, 41% of the cases has visited a restaurant, but almost like to, or 28% had visited, had not visited a restaurant. Right. Right. And so, so yeah, those numbers are statistically significantly different at, at a, at a relatively low P value, but it doesn't, it, it's not like a hundred percent and zero percent. Right. 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 Um, right. and then, and then, yeah. And so less than high school education, 10%, um, for cases and then 2% for controls. So, okay. So another message, this might be get more education. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, and again, to what extent do the, are, do these things correlate? Um, yeah. And so let's see restaurants following recommend. Yeah. And so it looks like, yeah, it looks like restaurants that are not following recommendations, 19% right. in cases versus 2% in controls versus almost all, uh, uh, 41% versus 50% for cases versus controls. And so, um, yeah, so that that says that that the degree of recommendations that are being followed in the restaurant is also important. It might even be more important. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And and it's these are like in, in the inherent limitation in this is that what is exactly why I do observation research. Right, so, right. So this is asking the person who got sick, how would you rate? whether others in that restaurant were following recommendations. Right. 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 Wh which is not how we collect data. Right. <laughs> very, very often. Right. And I shouldn't say that. It's just that there, there is a, um, there's a, a bias limitation. When, when someone goes into a restaurant, they are not there as data collectors. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, that, I think that all matters in, in this. So, but, but this, you know, this, you know, this, this paper, others that that'll come out, like it, 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 what's, what's more important is, and, and this will sound super trite to you, Don, or, or obvious. What's more important is the body of work around this, not this one paper. Um, right. So, because the, none of this is, is a perfect answer, uh, of prove to me yes or no, that, that, that you, you're more likely to get sick if you go to a restaurant. It, it's, it's, you, we've got to, we kind of have to look at a lot of different, different factors and different studies to, to get into that. So, um, so that there was one other thing I was going to tell you about, um, oh, Okay, so are you good? Are you good to switch switch gears here to something um, not not COVID related? 
Or, or is there still COVID things that you want to well, talk about? Oh, no, I'm, I'm good to move off COVID. I was looking for the, uh, that, um, uh, that, that very funny interaction between um, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Stakeums, where he, he, Dr. Tyson made a statement about science and uh, Stakeums correctly called him out for it. But uh, do, you, can you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I know what you're talking about, but I, can't, I don't – yes. I think – I mean it was a, a Twitter, uh, Twitter discussion. It was, yeah. um, and we uh, we so anyway. I'll, I will look for that. We will we will circle back to that because it's it's quite it's quite it's quite funny, um, and it is. I mean, again, Mister 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 Doctor Tyson um, should really know better, um, you know that uh, about about how science works. Um, so yeah, the good here here's the thing. The good thing about science is that it's true, whether or not you believe in it. Um, and then uh, Stakem says, you know, the irony of Neil's tweet is that by framing science itself as open quote as quote true, he's influencing people to be more skeptical of it at a time of unprecedented misinformation. Science is an ever refining process to find truth, not not a dogma. No matter his intent, his message isn't helpful. And so, uh, yeah, props to Stakem's. And if you're not following the Stakem's. A Twitter account, you should be. I mean, absolutely, um, because they're they're really good. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, so, okay, I want to. I'm going to switch gear here uh, to an outbreak that uh, appears to be. Uh, well, this this happened a couple of weeks ago, but it appears to be linked to uh, Jimmy John's restaurant in Illinois. Um, and the, you know, restaurant outbreak, this is not a COVID outbreak. This is a, um, some sort of foodborne illness. We don't know oh, what it is. Yeah. Oh, oh by, by the way, a little, little tech hint for folks. I fixed all of your things in the Dropbox <laughs> by adding the, um, uh, file extension HTML. Um, I, and so, uh, yeah. So, so if you ever have a file and you look at it and it looks like it's full of garbage, um, and it doesn't have a file extension and you saved it from the internet, just, just add .html to the end and it might fix it. I, pre- I appreciate it. Cause now. <laughs> they all work and I can click on them and get to the pages and all the, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So this, I just want to highlight something interesting about this outbreak and, and it's a, um, it, well, what, first of all, let's be clear. What's not interesting is that someone got sick once again from going to Jimmy John's, right? right? Not this happens all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so, so here's the, uh, you know, the, the original report of this, uh, from the, the pantograph, uh, not, not the, uh, paragraph, but the pantograph, which is a local uh, newspaper in, uh, um, McLean County, Illinois. Um, so, uh, in normal Illinois, the McLean County health department is investigating cases of foodborne illness. The issue was brought to the agency's attention on April 7th by Illinois state university personnel. After people reported symptoms consistent with food poisoning, the department said ISU spokeswoman, uh, Rachel Hatch declined to say how many students or how many staffers have been affected, uh, or provide details. It's ongoing. Um, they haven't determined the source of what the illness is, um, uh, but the the food safety news article on this is really interesting because what this it appears I think this outbreak was was identified because of iwaspoison.com mm-hmm. um and so uh the food safety news article that will that will link to by Coral Beach um ta- says in addition to the county department state officials are looking into the outbreak reported by staff from Illinois State University reports on iwaspoison.com indicate the majority of illnesses are among members of the school's lacrosse team who all ate uh food from the same restaurant 
Um, county officials haven't named a specific restaurant, although iwaspoison.com says, uh, you know, specifically uh, that it was, uh, you know, that these reports are, are linked to um, Jimmy John's. And so the, it's really like I, we, we've talked a little bit about iwaspoison.com and, mm-hmm. and just like, you know, full disclosure um, on this. Patrick Quaid, who um, who runs iwaspoison.com, he's spoken on you know numerous panels that that I've put together, most recently one for the Conference for Food Protection Educational program uh, last week. Um, but, but also I, he's, uh, collaborated with us on the norovirus project. And, and it, I, I think this like crowdsourcing of food safety information, it, there's, there's like, it's not a perfect science, but there's something there as an indicator. So it's really fascinating. We'll link to the, I was poison website, um, on this. I just have to read, just have to read, uh, me and partner were food poisoned 2 a.m. Saturday morning after eating at this restaurant. Uh, oh, after eating at the restaurant at 6 p.m. Uh, uh, the, the night before, we both experienced projectile vomiting for five or six hours, then two hours of fever, chills, and hallucinations. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I mean, time frame is right. Yep. Uh, ish. Right. Uh, for especially for a, uh, t- a uh, yeah, it's up for a toxin. Right. 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 Well, and here's here's the the link to what's what what is publicly available right now on right. Um, uh, I was poisoned. Um, Italian sandwich. Fifteen players from college lacrosse team. Many at hospital for fluids from severe vomiting and diarrhea after eating here as a team after game. It happened on Wednesday, April seventh, twenty twenty one. Doctor visit. Yes, diagnosis. Hospital. Um, and so it's like I, to you know. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a fan of exploring these, you know, I, I, I don't even think it's really a new uh, approach anymore. It's something that we've been talking about for five or six years. I, I first became aware of, uh, of Patrick and, and I was poison.com actually you and I moderated a panel at IAFP that, um, friend of the show, uh, chip manual put on, uh, when he was a graduate student before he, he joined Gojo and that's the first time I saw Patrick speak on this. And, and there were a couple other um, researchers looking at crowdsourcing in that, in that session. Um, but, but this, you know, talking with him, uh, hearing, um, I, I don't, Don, I don't know if you had a chance to join any of the other um, CFP uh, program uh, presentations last week, but um, hearing a local health department in I think Wisconsin, who uses Iowa's poison, and they've identified they had they showed de- data where um, I think it was like three or four outbreaks a year since they used uh, Iowa's poison.com that they have identified specifically from those reports. Um, I thought that uh, to me it's fascinating, right? Like there's it, it, it's not it, it's not a um, put everything into this crowdsourcing process, but it's part if it's part of your toolbox that probably does a good thing for public health. And I just thought it was like interesting after hearing that conversation last week um, at, at CFP that, that here's, here's an exact exa- like example of it uh, happening a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, so, th- so this is interesting, right? For, for a variety of reasons. So first of all, we have to say when Patrick first started coming to IAFP and start talking about his website, there, a lot of people were suspicious. Like, like, really, is this really going to work? People are just using this to complain about stuff. Um, and for sure, there's probably a lot here that is like bogus, right? Like somebody saying, um, I got sick from a Happy Meal. It's like, okay, well, maybe. Maybe you did, but maybe not. Um, you know, who, who, are, who are we to know if you're the only one that got sick, right? I mean, and what it, what it may be useful for is, is identifying these, these clusters. Now, now, 
I'd be very curious to hear. And, and so first of all, let me, or second of all, let me say, I apologize. I did not go to the rest of the CFP, um, thing that you organized, just the one that I was on. Cause I was, I was doing other, other things that, that I you don't need decided to apologize. were more important. Yeah. You know, you're good. No, I feel like I should, I should show up for all your things, uh-huh. but, um, but, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure it was good, and and that you know that's that's the choice we have to make uh, as to you know what what are we going to spend our day doing. Um, but I would be very curious if I was there, I might have asked that public health person. Okay, so you identified three or four outbreaks that you would not have otherwise identified. How many things did you have to look at? that were not outbreaks, right? right because right. it's, it's, it's always, it's always about the denominator with me, right? Like how, cause, cause yeah, I mean, if you, if you, if you looked at four and you found four outbreaks, that's great. You probably had to look at 40 or a hundred to find those four outbreaks. Right. And you can, but again, you may get pretty good at saying, well, that's a, that's bogus. You know, that's not, that's not real. It's not real. It's, oh, here's one that maybe I should dig into and, and get a little more information on. Right, right, right. And, and it, it is, they, they talked about it. Um, the presenters names were, uh, Stephanie, um, Macero, I think uh, maybe mispronouncing that and, uh, Courtney, 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 Courtney. Um, oh, of course I'm on the, I'm on, I'm on the clock here. Uh, Courtney, uh, Bidney. No, that's a different Courtney. Courtney Z- Zemer. Uh, and oh, of course, Courtney Zemer. <laughs> Courtney Zemer. Um, and so um, they, they they also talked about uh, just putting a uh, a place on their website and sharing through social media. If you have your if you have a foodborne illness complaint, you know, th- um, come to our website as well and, and report it. So I, I think these two things for them are happening at the same time, right? Like they're using a service like I was poisoned, where other people are going. And they're trying to create their own um, engagement service to get more folks to, to report foodborne illness. So I think your question, I think it's hard to, it's probably for them hard to parse out that, right? Like, because they're getting more more noise all the time from both of those uh, new, you know, new tools that they implemented. Um, but yeah, whether it's like 40 or, or 400 or, or 10 or, or eight, um, however many they, they had to look at, it, it that that's got to be part of the calculation on whether it's the right thing to do. It was really cool to hear, um, to, like to hear the questions that were coming in from local and and state regulators about like how did you get started? What you know was it hard, was it easy to 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 convince administrators that you're going to do this? Like to thinking about the logistics within a department of how much time are you dedicating to this that you weren't dedicating before, and how much is too much that you can't do you know what your what your normal tasks are. So. It, it, you know, they and they they did go into in, into answers on on that, and you know, basically said that it can be it can be overwhelming, and you can only go so far sometimes on trying to cut the you know the good stuff from the from the noise. Um, but it was yeah, it was it was cool. Anyway, I let I, I saw that um, last week, and I was like, you know what? Here's a not only is it a theoretical like this gives you some sort of an early warning. Here's an actual example and. Um, Patrick on, on his website, um, has, uh, and we'll, we'll link to this one. It's probably a better, um, uh, a better link here. Uh, he, he highlights, gosh, I don't know, maybe 25 outbreaks that I was poison.com, um, identified, uh, or, or detected, um, before a health department, which is kind of, which is kind of cool. Yeah. 
Um, and these are just well, but but of course it doesn't have all the ones that they identified that were not actually right. outranked. Right, right, right. But that's yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's 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 a it's a useful experiment, and I'm I'm glad he's doing it, and I'm glad that it seems to be making a difference. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I just so I just been playing around on it as you were talking. I was completely listening, but I was also playing around, and it's it has this thing where you can really zoom in and find out if there's any anything near you, right? right. Like uh, with integration with uh, with Google Maps, and you can even get alerts if you want to get alerts in your in your area. I mean, it's just, this is pretty cool. And as we know, Don loves maps. I love maps. I really do <laughs> like maps. So it's perfect. <laughs> it's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm zooming in on Raleigh right now. It looks like five, two, oh, oh, oh. Looks like we got April 2nd. <sighs> Cheesecake Factory, Glenwood Avenue, Raleigh, North Carolina. I drove by this place this morning, Don. I ate, I ate someone. Did you see? Did you see any salmonella? No, but I'll, I'll let me see. Someone wrote, uh, user. I ate some of Evelyn's favorite pasta. Pasta. A few <laughs> bites. I don't know if that's a person that they were eating with or if that's the name of a menu item. A few bites of the new Korean fried chicken and tried the Reese cup cheesecake and white chocolate raspberry cheesecake. I woke up with nausea, liquid diarrhea, and vomiting. Oof. And it hasn't as happened. opposed to as opposed to that deadly solid diarrhea. I don't. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to have the solid type, but you certainly don't want the liquid type either. Uh, and it hasn't stopped. So, um, so I was on April April second. That uh, um, yeah. So there there you go. That's close. That's close to me, Don. What else we got here? Well, you know, I'm I'm signing up for custom alerts. <gasps> Don, it looks like all, Aldi's might I'm have had so, something. <gasps> some bag I'm shrimp so. for some tacos. <laughs> Vomiting and diarrhea. My mom didn't get sick, but she didn't eat any shrimp. Got to be the shrimp. <laughs> must must be must be the shrimp. Uh so okay, so I got that. Uh, got that going for you. Got that going for me. Okay, so all right, one more one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, okay, things that I scoured the internet for um, uh-huh. uh, uh, this week um, is an article uh, entitled, also from my you know, I, we, the counter really should sponsor us because I it, I do read it on a on a daily basis. Well, do you sponsor them? Is a better question. I don't. I don't. There's no sponsoring either way. You know, right? Like that's okay. that, That's a problem too. Um, unemployed workers defect and debate their next moves, leaving restaurant owners to contend with a labor shortage. So this is something that, that, uh, I can't remember where I, it was some presentation that I did this week. Someone was talking about this for anecdotally. I don't know if you've noticed it as, as you drive around to get takeout. Um, but so many food businesses, whether it's grocery stores or restaurants are having trouble with labor and are trying to hire people. I wanted to get your take Ooh. on like what does the not not from a covid standpoint but what do you think this does for food safety? I'm just curious why it's happening, right? So I mean, so obviously restaurants if their businesses were down, they laid off people. Yep. Have those people just found other jobs and don't want to go back? Yes. That's because that that's that's what I'm interested in. I mean, and then there's knock on effects, of course. But right, right. That's what I'm. That that's what uh, what this article goes through. Um, and it was, um, you know, essentially the the stuff that I've read on this is is basically exactly what you said. Um, people had to find jobs, right? Even right. though even though there was like you know just trillions of dollars in stimulus money, um, you couldn't you can't live on on that. So so people who are in the industry have had to find other other employment and now have jobs they're not they're not going back to to food service. And so as 
restrictions ebb and flow. Uh, there's need for increase in, in labor within the industry, and, and the industry's having trouble getting people there. And I I think that there's, you know, I think there's food, some food safety um, uh, ripple effect from this. I like yeah. I, well, and yeah. and I and I think and I think restaurants probably need to pay people more money, give yep. them more better benefits, right? So it's like I I really don't have. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the restaurant no, owners no. here. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, I would certainly, I would certainly worry potentially about food safety, right? I mean, although I have to say, like, it's not like they were doing a great job before. I mean, re- the restaurant industry is well known for a, having a lot of churn, right? And for having workers that are not terribly well qualified. So I'm not sure, is it really any worse than it was, like we we won't know, right? I mean, and again, because the public health people are distracted, not distracted, because public health people are rightly focusing on COVID nineteen, um, they may not be doing, you know, having the focus on restaurant inspections and food safety, right? And so I don't know. It's 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 an interesting, it's it's a very interesting situation. And thank you for thank you for sharing this the story with me. I you know I think just to shame you, I might actually start donating to uh, the counter. Well, of course you will. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, I'll highlight. So here's, here's my, my thought on this. One thing I'm going to go back to my, 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 the paper that I love the most that I wrote, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, uh, uh, a paper that we've talked about on this show. A lot of times published, uh, a 10 year over 10 years ago. Now assessment of food safety practices of food service, food handlers, risk assessment data, testing a, a communication intervention, evaluation of tools. Do you, have I told you the reason why there are parentheses in this title? No, and it's a weird-looking title. I would not have written a title like this. No, it's a stupid title. These are things. Was that- <laughs> it because of reviewers? No, it's because of oh. me. I this is the oh. first. This, this is the first paper that I wrote from start to finish on my own. That, that oh, that I mean, there were co there are co authors here, right? But but I this is this is my like. I, I had co-authored a, a couple other papers before this, but this was uh, stuff that came out of my um out of my PhD work, and. Somehow, in my mind, well, as, your, as your senior author on this paper is oft oft points out, everyone needs an editor. Everyone needs an editor. He, yeah. he did not edit no, this no. very he was, much. Exactly. He, he, was, he likes to say a lot of things, but he doesn't always do the things that he says. It's true. He was he was not he was nowhere he's, to be found on this. He's one. pretty he's pretty good at not using exclamation marks. But yeah. Yes. So so in the title in in, in the at the time the mm-hmm. the Journal of Food Protection. Um, uh, submission process. It it said um, something about there. There are different categories of. of you, you know where I'm going with this, right? Like, I know, I know exactly where you're it, going with this. So the, I, I I I love newbies. I love people that don't know what they're doing. It's so fun to watch. Yeah, was, this is this is great. And, and it's it literally it, it is every time I look at this paper, it reminds me of how stupid I was and that I didn't ask somebody. So so in the in the uh, why did the, I I we could put some blame on the senior author, but I think we also probably have to put some blame on the reviewers yes. and perhaps the editor. Yes. Um yeah. I'm just saying I was not a reviewer for this. Uh I would have I would have said what the hell are you doing with that title? But Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it would have been fine if it was assessment of food safety practices of food service food handlers, 
colon testing and communication intervention. That's not yeah. a, not a terrible t- a title. It's not a title I would write today, but it, yeah. Um, but there was you know tell tell us somewhere in the in the submission process what areas so we can get reviewers. What is this right? And so so somehow I got in my mind that I actually had to put that in the title. So that's what I did anyway. Stu, stu, like hilarious. But any, the the reason why I wanted to talk about this paper is not just because it's my favorite. Um, but it is, uh, it, in this work, one thing that became really obvious when we were reviewing, and I say we, when I reviewed all the videos that, uh, of, of people washing their hands and of cross-contamination in these, in these restaurants, this art, this paper was all about watching or, um, uh, recording almost 350 hours of food handling in commercial restaurants. And when things were busy, more mistakes happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so here we have, I, I had data to, to, to show that, that I could break it down by, by time of day, there was a lunch rush, there was a breakfast rush, there were service rushes. Um, the food safety practices didn't fully go out the window, but more problems happen. And so labor shortage to me is that is like that right now, all of a sudden you might be mm. perpetually busier as a food handler because you you're missing like there's not someone you know maybe on the shift before uh the pandemic there were four people that were making this food and now there's three because we can't get someone to 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 work in this spot or there are four but two of them are brand new and are not really fast yet and and I don't have practice so I actually like to me this is the 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 fallout of of labor shortage yeah we've had lots of turnover and churn but new people in that position is different than no person in that position um to to me but, you know, yeah, based on the yeah. on the the observed stuff so i that's what i'm kind of worried about here is like if you're you know it's great for um you're 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 churning out food and not paying people you know what four dollars an hour plus tips but um it also might lead to more mistakes uh because they're busier yeah, and I think that's that you put your your finger right on it, right? If if we know that busyness causes lapses, then anything that makes it seem more busy or or you know, which includes trained workers that are not making food as fast, uh that is that translates to more busy for sure. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um so last thing I wanted to talk about and I don't think this ended up being the right uh, link. So mm-hmm. there were some gummy vitamins that were recalled uh-huh. um, because there was metallic mesh in it. And I wanted to follow up uh, because uh, this reminded me of uh, our conversation that was, uh, I think, in the last episode uh, or maybe two episodes ago where um, it was last episode. Where, uh, Mike Batts uh, commented on one of the riskier knots that we had uh, on cleaning a grill. And he highlighted that the more uh, the most risky uh, aspect of grill cleaning is having a uh, mm. wire bristle uh, in yes. your intestines. So anyway, that made me think of something that I read this morning. Or no, when I read this this morning, it made me think of that that conversation uh, that we had. And so I will give the actual link here. Um, Church and Dwight is recalling certain gummy vitamins after two reports of customers finding metallic mesh in the products. Um, so they were sold online and in stores. The recalled VitaFusion products include Kids Melatonin, Melatonin, FiberWell, SleepWell, and Multivites. Uh, only bi- uh, bottles with certain lock codes and expiration dates are included in the recall. These are the type we don't we don't um, 
we don't use this, but we do, our, our kids do take gummy vitamins, uh, every, every morning. So probably more like the multivites, just not a Vita fusion, mm-hmm. uh, one. And so I like metal mesh in there. If it was like stuck in the gummy that my, my kid is certainly eating it, right? Like, like mm-hmm. if it's, and they, they might be chewing it and it, it now leads to a problem in their mouth. But, um, but I, I think like, uh, wire mesh in the product itself, if it's not just in the, um, in the bottle, I, I think this is like, that, that's pretty, I'm now scared because of what Mike Bax sent us. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Bats. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I actually, I, and I take, uh, I take vitamins every morning, including, um, some vitamin C and I get the vitamin C as a gummy just cause you know, it's just more fun that way. <laughs> I like gummies. Um, yeah. So, but geez, now I'm going to worry every time I take that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, um, look for the, look for the metal mash. Uh, that was, that was all the, all the fun stuff that, that I had. I know there's some, some other, um, stuff that's in here in the, um, in the, uh, in the drop, in the drop box. Um, yeah. So I, I want to, I want to, uh, do one that, uh, comes to us from the internet and it's, it's nominally a risky or not, uh, topic. Uh, but, uh, it may, it, it inspired me to post a, a tweet thread and I will send you the link yep. so you can lo- follow. Along. I'm looking at you it. Got it. Okay. Yep. Oh, got the wrong thing in there. I won't text you that. Um, yeah. So, so this is, so this is a message from, uh, Dr. Kara Morgan, um, who says, uh, risky or not. And she links to a product called spongebath.com. And so, yeah, so I wrote a tweet thread. Um, and so here's a few reactions. Uh, this seems like an expensive way to sell, uh, citric acid and malic acid. Uh, they apparently, and so what this is, well, what, what, what would you, what would you, what would you describe this product as Ben? So it, it's a, it's a plastic container that sits, looks like it should be sitting on your kitchen counter that you would take your sponge, uh, that you're using to clean up your, your kitchen, your, um, you know, maybe do your dishes and you would drop it in this in this thing, and then there's a, a solution um, that that goes in here that uh, that that has you know that you buy for oh gosh your starter kit here Don is thirty nine dollars to get you get the unit and you get a then you get a bottle um, of your of the solution and uh, it, it 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 sits there and and is supposed to then kill uh, any of the any of the bacteria that's in your sponge. Yeah, and so it's this is uh this is it it's yeah, and it looks kind of like I I originally thought it was some sort of a heater, like yeah. it was like cuz it sort of looks like a toaster, like you drop the the sponge in like you drop a piece of toast in, but no, it just exposes it to these this this solution which is basically just citric acid and malic acid, and they did some laboratory testing uh of E coli 157. I'm not sure what E coli 157 is, um but I guess it's probably meant to say E coli 0157. And they also tested staff, um, neither of which are actual microorganisms, right? Um, and they found with this laboratory testing, where I imagine that they inoculated sponges with these organisms and then and then put them, you know, put them in the in this device, uh, that that would uh, that would actually lower the concentration of pathogens or of these organisms, right? Not surprising that citric acid and malic acid um, kills these organisms, but they also stay, they have not registered with the EPA, so they are not legally a sanitizer or a disinfectant, which is is good that they're coming clean about that because otherwise they could get in trouble, legal trouble. Um, 
they they've got a bunch of stuff on their website. They they cite the uh, famous uh, now German study that studied fourteen sponges, uh, which was my first appearance on Dubai Friday, where where I said fourteen effing sponges, uh, which is not the right number of sponges for research. Um, they they cite some some research from the German study that says that the German study says that microwaving sponges doesn't disinfect them, but as debunked on that Dubai Friday episode, it's not about that study does not really – all it, that study did then was ask people about whether they microwave their sponges, I think. And so asking people and then testing their sponges is not the same as actually testing the sponges. And so I think microwaving your sponges is still a good idea, but just just don't do it with a dry sponge because you might start a fire. Um, oh, speaking of starting a fire, I almost put my my Ember mug in the microwave the other day. Oh, gosh. That is my nightmare. I, I, I literally put it in the microwave and then, and then opened it and pulled it out. So I was distracted. So I need to not be distracted when I'm making stuff with my Ember mug. Um, uh, yeah, and so uh, and then I would say also uh, if you haven't if you if you if you are lucky enough to have a house equipped with an automatic dishwasher, which I will be someday soon, um, you could use that to sanitize your sponges, and then make sure your sponges dry out between uses, and then throw them away and get new ones when they get smelly. Um, I would I would not spend fifty dollars to get this, um, and nor would I trust a solution of citric or malic acid to control microorganisms. So, yeah. So anyway, be careful. And then I think Kara's Kara's response is, well, I guess I I really shouldn't trust things that are advertised to me on Facebook. But I have to say, I have I have bought things off of Facebook before and I've been happy with it. But I would not I would not buy this uh, off Facebook or anywhere else. Yeah, so one one thing I wanted to to ask you about, it, mm-hmm. uh, did you go through their like um the like how to use this thing like the easy setup I, the pdf I, at all i i did i okay. did i think you so you first you first start by cleaning your sponge yes. to make sure that it doesn't have any water or food in it which is i think a good a good first step i would then at that point um just take the sponge and put it in the dish rack to right. dry yes um or, or you could put it in this device but i w- i would not <laughs> Well, and so yeah. what I think is really interesting about this, you know, they, they have not provided their, their data, um, you know, explicitly. And I think that the, the methodology on how they tested quote staff and one five seven an activation is, mm-hmm. is important because they talk about the, um, that you don't, you, you only put one ounce of this liquid in your sponge paddle bath, uh, once a week. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think the efficacy is like? immediately, right? As soon as I add my, my, my ounce of liquid. Mm. And what do you think it looks like after a week of sponge in and sponge out? Uh, I'm going to guess less effective. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to guess they also did not study that in their uh, lab study. I bet you that they did not at all. Right. Like I, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's the kind of work that we need to do here on sponge bath. (laughs) (laughs) Spongebath.com. Spongebath.com. That's what I'm looking for. I want to know, I'm using my sponge. I well, my a typical situation here at my house. I use my sponge uh, three times a day. Um, I not 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 really three meals. It's more of a I'm going to use it um, at some point when I'm washing dishes um, or you know things from from lunch because you know I'm I'm on the 7-Eleven Slurpee diet, Don. So I, I got I, I eat lunch and I eat dinner, uh, and so I eat some I eat some lunch and I clean up whatever utensils are. I might use my sponge then. I, I, we do dinner. I clean up, use my sponge then, uh, and then I'll I clean the we you know I like to start clean uh, at the end of the day, or I like to start start clean the next day. So at the end of the day, we also will rinse down our um, our countertops and do a little sanitizing. I think we talked about that a couple episodes ago. 
So, so my sponge, it's it, three times a day. It's in and out. It's put, there's some organic matter. Even though if I'm able to rinse this, I'm still putting stuff in that holder three times a day. So let's let, you know, on average, um, I, let's say it's just twice a day. So 14 times I'm adding stuff in here over the course of a week. I'm sure on day seven, it's not getting much of a, not, it's, it's funky. I'm sure. Well, de- depend, depending upon, uh, the degree to which you, you wring out those sponges. Right. right? And I, I would also say, you know, if, if you change the liquid more frequently, uh, I'm sure sponge bath would be very happy because then you'd be buying more right. of this very expensive overpriced citric and malic acid. So, and I do have to say, I was originally puzzled by this. I'm like, sponge bath, huh? I guess that's for cleaning sponges in your bathroom. Do not use this for cleaning sponges in your bathroom. And they specifically say, like, don't don't use your like if you have a sponge that you use to sponge off yourself in the shower, don't, don't do, do don't use this because you'll you'll put acid on your skin. Yeah. Admittedly organic acid. It's not like hydrochloric acid, but it's still um yeah. Oh, and then just a little bit of a, a brief follow-up on your 7-Eleven diet. Um, I I have been I've been um, doing a little bit of uh, because my watch my watch is telling me my apps are telling me that I'm I don't have a good I don't have a good heart rate dip at mm, night Ben mm. oh and I do in, in sleep follow up I did get a weighted blanket and so what do you, what do you got doesn't really doesn't really help okay but <laughs> it motivated me to try I'm still using it okay? okay but it's motivated me to try other things and one of my bad habits is uh, I'm doing the opposite of the 7-Eleven diet I'm doing the 24/7 diet. <laughs> Um, and I, I eat all the time, including my, the bad habit that I have developed is, is eating, eating, um, uh, you know, and, and drinking right up until bedtime. And so what I've been trying to do is saying like my version of the seven 11 diet, which is really more like the nine, nine 30 diet, which is like <laughs> when I try to stop eating and drinking nine, nine 30. Um, and uh, what I've discovered is that I, I am getting a better heart rate dip if I just stop eating earlier in the evening. Oh, wow. And so yeah. I, I'm going to try and I'm going to try to ratchet, the, ratchet this down, you know, baby steps. Right. And so I've been tracking, I've been tracking just in a, in a, in a drafts, in a drafts, uh, uh, note, um, just like what time I stop eating every night. And then, and then, and then I'm seeing an improvement in heart rate dip. And so I, I'm going to keep, keep doing this. And then, I mean, and eventually maybe like just stop eating like after dinner, which would be great. Right. So, so as I shared, snacking is, is my, is my, is evening snacking on savory snacks is, is my, is my weakness. And so I just wanted to give that, that little bit of feedback. So I'm practicing my own, my own version of the Seven Eleven, which is like I said, they call the nine, nine 30 diet. <laughs> well, I, I actually think you are eating the true Seven Eleven diet, which is there's food available at Seven Eleven all the time. It's always open. It's you, it's your own. You, I, yeah. Yeah, it's just a different uh, 7-Eleven. Maybe it's the Wawa diet that you're eating, uh, you because know, it's like uh, you know Wawa's open all the time too. Uh, I found I know this is not about our our eating habits, but I, I found over like after doing this for for well over a year, mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't even really crave snacks after after dinner. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at uh, dur- you know once once noon hits. Um, I, I like to, uh, you know, I have a sizable meal and then I'll snack in between, you know, over the course of the afternoon and then I have a, you know, we eat dinner and that's it. Like I'm pretty much, uh, pretty much done. 
uh, at, at that point. And, and when I do get a craving for, to eat something, um, I replace it with, uh, just another can of LaCroix. Uh, and, and it, it seems to be, it seems to work. Like I don't, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. And I, and I, what I do every night before I go to bed is I pour myself a big glass of seltzer and then sometimes I drink it and, and sometimes I pour another one and then I go to bed with that on my nightstand. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, I have something, you know, that I can, that I can drink. Uh, and, and because I'm usually wake up in the night and I'm, I'm my, I'm my dry, I'm dry. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, w- before we close the loop on uh, sponge bath, I want to read mm-hmm. from you, fr- read to you from their website. Cause that's my favorite part of what we do here. How does the sponge bath system work? I mean, Don, you've alluded to it, but I want to read word for word here. <sighs> sponge bath is the first dual purpose sponge holder that both cleans and stores your sponge, simple, effective, and easy to use sponge baths, patented paddle action method draws our patent penting cleaning solution deep into the micro crevices of the sponge, cleaning it and killing 99.99% of odor causing bacteria. So you can always have a fresh, clean sponge. I want to, I want to make an argument here. That's the end of the copy. Um, mm-hmm. that doesn't answer the question how, how it works, Don, <laughs> I just need to need to point out yeah. that it, it is, I'm, I get that there's a, a patented paddle action and a patent pending cleaning solution, but I still want to know how it works. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I'm, I won't be, I don't think I'll be getting this, but thanks to, to, uh, Dr. Kara Morgan, who we, I, I don't know if you know her, but I know her from, uh, from not just the internet, but, uh, she's, a um, a, fr- a friend, friend of a friend, someone who I've, uh, I know from, uh, from, uh, speaking in a class that she, uh, co, uh, teaches with, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Barb Kowalczyk, who is yes. uh, is a, a real friend, uh, not a real, not the Dr. Kara Morgan's not a real friend, but it's someone who who I know in in real life and from per, yes. in person. So yes, um, so yeah, thanks to to Kara for that that great great question for us. So I, I want to do some feedback from our other show because that that show does not allow feedback, and so I want to do uh, some sushi feedback, and this comes from uh, listener Bruce. And he, he writes, uh, I, and this is talking about the Risky or Not episode uh, entitled Sushi from Non-Sushi-Grade Fish. And he says, he writes, I absolutely agree with the conclusion about non-sushi-grade fish, fish being a lot riskier. I was confused by some of the discussion. You both referred to supermarket sushi as risky as it does not need to go through the same risk mitigation step freezing as restaurant bought sushi. Professor Ben even made a statement to the effect of supermarkets not needing to comply with the food code. Does that mean the dedicated sushi bar that exists within my local supermarket is unregulated? Uh, I was under the impression that food code, you know, each state is different, blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, so can you, um, can you refer, can you, can you clarify? Yes. Yes, I can. And this is a good, good question. Um, and so I responded to Bruce in an email, but I think it's worth us uh, going over here. Yeah. Um, the seafood counter does fall under the food code. The, um, and the sushi that's made probably is actually not made at the seafood counter. It's made in its own little area that probably falls actually under the deli. In some cases right. they've got their own spot. Um, in other cases it's, it's part of the deli for like ready food preparation also falls under the food code. But what, what we were talking about is that the fish that is intended for someone to take home to prepare that fish that is retailed for consumer preparation that fish doesn't fall under the parasite destruction aspect of the food code because the food code talks about if it's if someone um, and actually I'll read directly from you know the other thing that we like to do on this podcast is read from the food code so this is section three dash four oh two 
Part 11, Parasite Destruction A. Except as specified in Part B of this section, before service or sale in ready-to-eat form. And that part's really really matters, that it's ready to eat. Raw, raw marinated, partially cooked, or marinated, partially cooked fish shall be, uh, and then they go through specifically how the parasites will be uh, destructed, used frozen and stored, uh, and, you know, in three different parameters that I don't need to go to. So so the, the difference in Bruce's question is sushi that is sold to you um, that has been rolled at the, at the grocery store or rolled elsewhere um, is intended to be um, ready to eat. And so parasite destruction needs to be, uh, followed. But like, if I go buy just a sam- a, a piece of salmon or a piece of tuna at the fish counter, that specific piece of fish doesn't need to go through parasite destruction. So hopefully that clarifies it. And I think that it did Bruce, Bruce responded. Thanks. That helps. Um, <laughs> okay, good. um, and then, but he, he also, um, he also wrote, um, uh, back about uh, tuna scrape because you and I had talked about right. this. We alluded to it, but he he said that he found some YouTube videos um, about um, you know scraping uh, you know uh, scraping off the b- both back fin and also the really the the bones of um, of the fish and and that is all done by hand because you can't sort of mechanically scrape the because uh, it's really fine bones and so the issue that we've seen with back scrape or tuna scrape has has been largely salmonella uh, and the thought is that it's coming from cross contamination from hands or e- either from a, a food handler but there's no like nothing that anybody can really do you know the um, uh, I shouldn't say that there's nothing you can do but nothing as a consumer I can do because I'm intending to eat that fish raw. And the scrape is, is maybe at higher risk for for this contamination. I'm I'm kind of stuck as a consumer. It's like I, you know, I hopefully I know the risk that tuna scrape is is handled a little bit differently, and 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 it's a different set of pathogens. So, um, cool. so yeah. I, so I want to do I want to do some uh, this is some feedback. On, well, I I don't know if this is more appropriate for risky or not. Um, hmm. Which which one which one? Uh, Flatbox. 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 It's the bottom. If you sort by date, it's the right above sushi. Right above sushi. Flatbox. I don't see it. Um, All right. Oh, I see it. No, now I see it. Now I see it. Flatbox. (laughs) I just wanted to say that. Uh, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not really suitable for risky or not. So, all right. So, I'll I'll read. So, uh, hi. I'm uh, name redacted. I'm a student. I found out about your podcast from uh, Bean Dad. (laughs) Um, uh, I've listened to a bunch uh, way over my head. Weird question. I'm doing a project on something called Flatbox. It's a lunch bag that folds flat and acts as a placemat. It's made of neoprene and is machine washable. Do you think that a product like this could actually help keep kids safe? So, so this is not risky or not. This is, yeah. um, this is good or not. Is it, yeah, this <laughs> um, is like sponge, uh, it's like um, sponge bath. Yeah, it's sponge bath. Yeah, which might actually be risky if you put it on your skin, but right. that's a separate question. All right, I, I know this is a huge ask, and I absolutely understand if you don't have time to look into it. Huge K Dog, uh, it's like this: what we do, it's fine. Um, so uh, I said, so hey K Dog, thanks for reaching out. This looks like an interesting product. I think their video they overstate the risk of conventional lunch lunchboxes, and they also overstate the benefit of their product. That said, the idea that it is a machine washable that it's machine washable is certainly nice if you've got disposable income and it looks like a cool toy. I'd 
say go for it, much like the Ember mug. Um, but I don't think it's going to magically keep uh, kids safe or people safe from from everything. And so his response is, thank you for calling me K-Dog. Thank you for your prompt response. I'm beyond thrilled. Um, uh, keep on rocking in the free world. And then I'm like, damn it, I have to go listen to that song right now. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so what do you, what, so did you find, the yeah, flag? I don't, I don't really want to link. Okay. It's a DM. So I don't want to, I can't link to it. Um, oh, I uh, and I, I don't want to call out uh, K dog, but I, and I don't really want to link to Flatbox cause I don't want to give them the, the promo, but what do you think? I, I don't think it's probably doing anything. And I, I <laughs> would you like, so, so in some of the testimonials here, there's something that I just read. It, it scrolls. So it's a little bit hard to see all these. Um, but someone said, I buy flat box. So I, because my daughter has allergens and I don't want her food touching the table. Um, the, you know, the school lunch table. Let me, um, let me find that. So I get that mm-hmm. exactly, uh, correctly. Um, I don't think it, you know, uh, yeah, my, oh, come on. This is the most terrible process of this website. <laughs> With my three-year-old daughter's food allergies, we use Flatbox to ensure her food doesn't touch the preschool lunch table. And then it scrolled away. There's some other words there that I can't, I, I lost. I, I don't, I actually think that if we're worried about the preschool love table or love table, um, <laughs> that's a different, the, the, we, we, I don't know. Um, uh, if we're c- concerned about the preschool lunch table, then hands on that table would be equally as problematic as food touching it. Right. And for, for a three-year-old, I think that's really, really harder to, to manage. Yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah, I don't, I don't think this makes, I don't think this makes lunch any safer. I think it's a, it's a, a machine washable lunchbox, which I, we have for both of my kids. That is nice because they get funky and smelly over time. Um, but, but I, I don't think that this is any safer. Um, but you know, in the people love placemats, right? <laughs> like this, it's, it's kind of nice if you don't want to, and actually my favorite one, I'll, I don't know if this will link really, oh yeah, should link uh, nicely if we want to show it. The, my favorite picture that I found on the website is, um, t- you know, take your, um, your flat box lunch bag placemat drinks, D-R-N-I-D-R-I-N-X, um, with you on your paddleboard. And then you can use your your paddleboard as a table for your lunch uh, because you now have a, a, a nice placemat. Uh, so I, I'm, I I don't think it does anything other than it gives you a placemat, which is not going to really protect anybody from uh, well, foodborne illness. And and it well it, it is machine washable, right? And yeah. so it is it's it's probably better than using a, a paper bag, right? Because it, it is it's you're 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 not you're not throwing something away at the yep. end of the day, right? That's so when I was a kid. I never I, yeah I always took my lunch. I never never got the hot lunch because that stuff's gross. Um, but I always took my lunch and probably always in a paper bag that always got thrown away because we didn't recycle back in the day. Um, so it's reusable and then you can wash it, right? And so I think that's really nice. Because it, it, you know, you like a, a metal lunchbox, you have to clean and sanitize. But again, and I don't think that anybody's really getting sick from from lunchboxes. So, so if you, again, like I come back to my earlier comment, if you've got the disposable income, you know, and, and it looks like a cool thing, get it. But otherwise, yeah. don't don't think it's going to keep you safe. Right, right, right. Well, and so funny, I'm now looking at machine washable lunch bags, um, and I thought, you oh, know, this will link to. Yeah. yeah, this one will link to. This is from the kitchen. Well, one of them on there is actually Flatbox. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. I, I just don't want to link to uh, no, no. Flatbox. So, yeah. So, yeah. But so I thought, oh, you know, I got to be able to find a machine washable lunch bag for cheaper than $17. Well, it turns out no. three. That, no, <laughs> that's the cheap one. It's the cheap one is is Flatbox. Um, and then I went to Amazon 
And I mean, there's some here that are like 10. One that we have um, looks like it is uh, like $16. So, you know, maybe it's just a good, you know, it, it, yeah, <laughs> they're expensive. turns out just to, just to do all this. So anyway, we'll link, we'll link to that. Um, and, but I, I, you know, I don't think it's doing anything for, uh, for the world of, of food safety other than, like you said, you know, just keeping it from, uh, you know, maybe pathogens building up in there, but you don't have to have a flat box to do that. You can just use any machine washable lunch bag. And we, every once in a while, when our kids lose one or leave one at school, we just use reusable shopping bags, which we wash, um, you know, for their lunch, lunch items. And they feel that that is, it's embarrassing when they have to take that, but they should bring their lunchbox home, Don. Oh yes. Um, what else? Uh, so, th- yeah, well, there's some so other stuff let's, here. Let's let's keep going. Let's keep yeah. going on feedback if it's all right with you. So, um, I the next bit of feedback uh, comes from uh, the feedback on the toilet bowl Milky Way episode, <clears throat> and this comes from listener Rob, uh, who says, uh, I was listening to more podcasts while driving my dog to and from a training class. Toilet bowl Milky Way. This raises the question, who wants a Milky Way that badly? Um, This reminded me of an article I read years ago, uh, Diarrhea, Whose Feces Matter? Have we talked about this? We did. We talked about this on the last one. Yeah, last episode. Oh, all right. So we'll we'll just – all right. So we don't need to talk about this. So we're we're done with that. Sorry. Um, My my bad. Uh, You cut that out. Sure. Um, It's in the show. It's in uh, the show. Uh, this is a good one. So, uh, this sign showed up in our kitchen. How true do you think it is? I believe that the sink can have more bacteria than a toilet and we should definitely keep it clean, but is it really the most contaminated? This implies pathogens, not just bacteria. And so, um, yeah, so this is a, we'll, we'll link to this, uh, oh, let's see, uh, Twitter. Damn yeah. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll find the tweet, but basically the sign is, um, uh, kitchen often like really, if you think the toilet is the most contaminated part of the house, think again. Um, and yeah, because of the, uh, damn it. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so, so th- this is, uh, this is probably, <clears throat> it's annoying that way. Sometimes things link and sometimes they don't. Um, but, but yeah. So, uh, what do you, what do you think about this? What do you think about this tweet, Ben? Do you think the kitchen is really the, uh, the most contaminated part of the house? I, or the, the kitchen? Well, yeah, and, and, and the, you know, as you said, implying that the toilet is uh, a place that you uh, would maybe find uh, less less contamination. I mean, it comes down to something that we've talked about a bunch, right? Like the here here's the central thesis of uh, risky or not. Um, there's bacteria everywhere. Some of them are pathogens. Right. Most most are not, <laughs> and that's that's the issue, right? Like I think I'm more likely to find pathogens in my toilet if I find anything or around my toilet or in the lid of my toilet, uh, you know, un, under, but it all depends on what I do in my kitchen and how I clean it. And so I, you know, it, it, I don't think it, um, it's an interesting interventional message to say, you should think of your kitchen as a place where there might be pathogens. But I, I don't think that the, that the, the message is exactly f- like factual. It all depends on how we define contamination. Yeah, I mean, certainly cleaning your kitchen is a good idea, right? Uh, I, I got the I got the tweet, so the 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 link actually did the search tw- searching Twitter actually did work, so that's nice. Um, yeah, so yeah, so the the oh, oh no, I gotta get this stupid thing up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, the tweet. Uh, 
I know Twitter. Twitter Why? Yeah. All right. So yeah. So the whole the whole sign says, if you think the toilet is the most contaminated part of the house, think again. The kitchen sink contains one hundred thousand times more germs. Clean frequently, especially surfaces. Uh, Okay. So it's true that a given kitchen sink may have ten one hundred thousand times more total aerobic plate count right than another surface right but that doesn't mean that they're pathogens which is exactly what dan's point is here right i think he's exactly right in that it's yeah so it's a good idea to clean your kitchen but but it's not you know the you should clean your bathroom too and yeah and for sure clean your clean your sink especially the drain (laughs) well and and one thing that i'd I'd highlight we um you know, we did some of this work. There's there's a paper mm. that's that's sitting in a, with a federal agency right now. Actually, two of them that you you're uh, part of that would really highlight this uh, the you know, some of this work on where places in the kitchen matter the most when it comes to transferring pathogens around. And the thing that we found in in our work is that uh, things like spice bottles matter. So I don't see any spice bottles uh, here, right? Uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Be, but and and in fact, when you know in this in this picture, the the, the uh, listeners can't see it, but there's like a whole bunch of red dots on what looks like the side of the fridge and the top of the fridge. Yeah, we you, you're not really like maybe on the handle, the sink, depending on what's happening in that sink. If you're if you're rinsing poultry or rinsing other meats, your sink's probably gonna have a bunch of more more stuff in it um but like the stove and the oven it, no and those those are like red dots that are floating above the stove that's yeah. that's ridiculous it's kind of so. right right it's kind of weird your stove might be dirty but i our stove gets pretty hot when we're cooking stuff on it yeah <laughs> i well, think that kills germs right and this is the thing like i actually well i don't care about germs i care about pathogens and maybe right. sometimes someone calls a germ a pathogen and sometimes someone calls yeast spores <laughs> a germ or, you know, mold spores or yeast, right? What, yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's where we're, uh, I think that's where we're at on, on that one. Okay. All right. Now, so this is, this is a really, really good one. So this comes from listener deep red seaweed, uh, who's an ag econ student in the D- Dal AC up yep. in Truro. So I don't know what that means. Those are I, Canadian words. <laughs> I think it's a it's an agriculture college, and uh, okay. yeah, and I think we yes, yeah, yeah. We um, we have we we have heard we we've heard from uh, this individual uh, before. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. or maybe so, you know what it might have been. It might, oh yeah, well it's deep seaweed, deep red seaweed. Um, but also I think we might have talked about something on on risky or not too. Yeah. All right. So he says he's a searcher volunteer of the local county level volunteer search and rescue team. So I mean. Good for you. Like, that's fantastic. Uh, One of the things which teams are lucky to have is a logistics and support trailer, which allows us to be able to support searchers during an ongoing search event when we or our teams in our region are responding to this. This would end up being – this would end up being the reheating of previously prepared food. So so basically what this – team does is they go out with previously prepared foods, soups, and other entrees, which have been frozen prior to be served to the searchers, right? So this is support for people that are going out looking for people that are missing. One part of this, which is to present one part of this which is present is that we're operating under a three-month window where food needs to have been prepared under 
for this so that after three months, we're supposed to replace this with new foodstuffs. When I talked to a few other people in our logistics team, they said they were following the Nova Scotia food code stuff. But in looking around, I cannot seem to find a basis for this in the Nova Scotia food code. See here, and he links to it. Um, if you want to scan through or in a broader Canadian basis, I can give more context if needed, blah, blah, blah. The three-month window isn't an actively bad thing. For much well-less-equipped teams, I can easily imagine it to be an onerous burden. From a food safety point of view, there isn't really a concern as far as I'm aware. And even from a quality degradation point of view, I think we could probably stretch it out for a few more months. I was looking for any other documentation, guidance, but I've not found anything. This is probably too niche an area. Uh, what do you think I should be searching for? And my response is, I, I'm, I'm sure this is for quality, not for safety. Um, quality loss is going to be specific to the food. It's going to depend upon the temperature fluctuations of however you're holding it. Uh, pathogens don't grow in the freezer. So it's definitely not about, about food safety. So, so what so do you have any thought, additional thoughts on this? No, I, I mean, I think that's exactly it. And I took a look at um, the uh, Nova Scotia food code just to see if there was like anything specific to store like uh, frozen storage. There, there certainly is refrigerated storage. Um, they talk about, you know, it's got to be below four degrees Celsius. Um, they talk through like hot holding. Um, but when it comes to like freezing, there's no, there, there's no like date. Um, and, and so I, I think that it's, um, uh, what it explicitly says in frozen foods is, uh, frozen foods must be maintained at a temperature of zero degrees Celsius or less to maintain their quality. A temperature of 18 minus 18 Celsius is required. Um, foods, and this is the, the part that I think um, deep red seaweed is looking for, foods that are kept constantly frozen at minus 18 Celsius or lower will keep safe indefinitely. Over time, all frozen foods will eventually lose their quality when it comes to texture, flavor, and taste. But it doesn't say anything like, any, you know, anything about three months um, for, for quality reasons. So, yeah, I, 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 I am 100% um, with you on this. Uh, and, and I think that um, it's, it's probably a, a it, it's like one of those things that, that happens in food safety where someone said, you know what, we should probably use this after three months and it just has yeah. become policy, but there's no, you know, most of the stuff that we're doing is based on this food code. So everything must be based on this food code and it's not, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And, and I, I will say also like, again, I'll give a shout out to the food keeper app, which is an app for your smartphone, but it's also a web page. You know, if you want some recommendations for different shelf life of different foods that are frozen, you could do worse than this. Again, this is for quality. It's not for safety, but, and certainly if, if you're out there and you're working really hard and you're trying to rest, find somebody who's lost, you want those people to have good quality food, right? And so, yeah, it's a good idea to rotate it, but is it, is it, should you magic, should you throw it away after three months and a day? No. Should you keep it around for three years? Well, probably not, not, shouldn't do that either because people aren't going to like that. And so what you should do is you should have a rotation policy, right? You should try what foods you have in storage and when they were put there with the day, the month, and the year. 
uh, not just the day in the month because the year changes every year, right? The day, the month, and the year, uh, and then and then have a regular policy for rotating them out, and and realize that that fattier foods are probably going to go off more quickly, and you could probably you know base that on the Food Keeper app. So you know a uh, a, a cream sauce is going to be different than let's say a red sauce or something like that. So just just you know use use some common sense, put some protocols in place, um, and and keep keep feeding those search and rescue folks high quality food. Yep. Yep. Abs- absolutely. Um, All right. La- oh, oh, yeah. Last. Do you have a heart out? No. No. You're good. Okay. Go. Let's last, do it. last. Last bit of feedback. Okay. Uh, and then I'll, and then I'll let you talk for a while. Um, so this is feedback on our episode on. See now, there's a PDF where the the link works. I really don't get this. Um, anyway, so so there is. Oh, it's a printed from an email. All right. So uh, anyway, the the this is feedback on our episode 130 of. Um, uh, risky or not, entitled Drinking Civet Poop Coffee. Uh, and this comes from listener Bruce, who's who's ha- given us a bunch of feedback now. Um, enjoy the show. As always, I noted that you mentioned that you were not familiar with coffee roasting parameters. So he's going to educate us, Ben. Um, uh, I, I So I simply had to do what I could to help you out. I am a diehard coffee roaster. Of course you are. Of course you are. Um, really, the only way to get it is really the only way to get the quality and freshness right. I will agree to disagree. I buy dark roast from Starbucks and it's just fine. Um, uh, but anyway, we can we can agree to disagree. Um, after about a uh, about after about a week after the roasting, the quality of the coffee made from the beans drops off significantly, and no commercially pre-roasted beans can reliably. Com- commercially roasted beans can reliably get me roasted beans in under five days. Okay, I see. So. Um, I refer you to the excellent publication, The Craft and Science of Coffee, edited by Britta Fowler, not, not the filter, but, but a different, different thing, um, and published by Academic Press. When discussing Luwak coffee, the book mentions that after collecting the civet feces, the beans are soaked and washed and the coffee is sun-dried. I can't imagine that process doing much to reduce risk, so as you suggest, it's down to roasting to reduce the risk. Yeah. In order for you to roast, the, for the roast process to trigger the appropriate chemical reactions of roasting that we look for to create the flavor, the Beans must reach a temperature of 190 degrees C. Yay. T- typical final product temperatures are in the range of 200 to 250, and typical roasting times anywhere between 3 to 20 minutes, depending upon the equipment. Now, it is a dry uh, roasting process, not a wet roasting process, but based on what the data I've seen for peanuts and almonds, I think we should be fine, right? Um, personally, I prefer to roast to s- – Roast to slightly under cafe or city typically makes my process nine minutes in my small home roaster. What I know from some thermocouple from thermocouple studies that I did is that in my roast process, the beans are exposed to temperatures of 200 degrees C for at least seven minutes. I have never attempted to measure internal bean temperature because around four to five minutes, most of the beans crack open, so internal structure is exposed to high temperatures, a bit like popping corn. Thanks for the show. All right, awesome. So very, this is this is the kind of feedback we look we look for from our nerd listeners uh anything to add one little thing to add and i just sent you a link to this um a listener not listener sometimes listener depending on how long her walks are uh of the show friend of the show friend of ours linda harris uh was a co-author on a uh, a poster that was presented in 2019 at iafp on factors that impact survival of salmonella during storage of beans uh and batch production of cold brew coffee and and it's certainly not exactly what um what Bruce was was talking about this is about salmonella 
um, contamination after roasting uh, could could lead to um, you know w- would would certainly remain on roasted uh, coffee beans essentially what the um, what the study uh, showed what this poster highlights um, but so so I would think about the like ro- the the bigger the I don't know the bigger risk in this if is is post roast contamination. So just cleaning and sanitizing and, and whatever good practices there are in that post civet, you know, uh, Kopi Luwak, uh, roasting, uh, process that, that would be like the only thing that, that I would want to want to highlight here. But I was like, I, I was introduced to this, um, conversation, uh, when I visited Linda a couple of years ago to, um, to give a, a talk out in, at, at Davis. And we, we sat and, and sort of talked about cold brew coffee specifically as it relates to this, where where there wasn't going to be a brewing temperature as well on top of uh, the um, if there was a, a pathogen in there in in the first place. So anyway, I just wanted to yeah. link to that. Yeah, and we we fiddled around with uh, looking at cold brew coffee and microbiology, and, and never really got anywhere with it. Had an undergrad working on it as a, just a, a undergrad research project, and basically what we discovered is you really if if you just look at total plate count, it really not much. I mean, after you after you brew it, it not much happens. Like they just gradually die, right? And again, we've discussed in this show, it'll, they'll get moldy eventually, but, but really not, not a lot going on microbiologically. So not, not surprising that the, the decreases, you know, that the, there are uh, decreases in, in salmonella over time, um, in, in either, uh, cold brew coffee or, uh, in, in coffee beans. So, um, oh, and one, another humorous event, um, so often when I copy things out of PDFs, um, the letters aren't right. Mm-hmm. And so I copy, I copied the craft and science of coffee and pasted it. And that showed up as the crap and science of coffee, which is kind of a nice uh, callback to the civet poop coffee. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> all right. So that, that is all the feedback. I did want to get through a lot of that because people are so nice to send us the feedback. And I try to respond to everybody in an email, but I also always like if we can give them some feedback in the show as well. So. So yeah, and I only I only have one other thing that I wanted to add, and this is um, something that I um, I saw on Twitter this week, and I haven't had a chance to to read it. Uh, the PDF is in the um, in our folder, but I'm going to find a link to this and I'll send it to you, Don. But um, there, um, uh, our friends at FAO. Um, Oh yeah. Put together a really interesting document. I got about halfway through this today, but looking at the food safety issues related to edible insects. And so this was published, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think now, um, the, uh, the, it's it's a 108 page document. And it's looking at edible insects from a food safety perspective, and and the the really the the big thing that I took away um, in the first little while is that uh, pesticide and chemical hazards are are something to to really kind of think about more than microbial hazards uh, associated with with edible insects. But we're seeing more and more questions in the world of like culinary and restaurants on edible insects. So I I just wanted to say that there's this things out there. And if you had missed it and you're in the world of um, emerging things like edible insects, there's a, a really great um, great document that's really in-depth, uh, sort of pulling together all of the literature that we have on um, food safety and edible insects. So check it out. Yeah, and I and I did I, I did uh, not see this when it came out, and so I appreciate you putting it in front of me. And we actually, and I don't think we've talked about this on the show. I've actually had an interest in this in, for some time, um, and then out of the blue, uh, a high school student from Princeton. 
uh, emailed me to say, hey, look, I'm in- I'm interested in edible insects, um, and I'd like to do research in a lab. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. And then and then again, another out of the blue, Caitlin uh, Kasuli, who is a friend of the show and sometimes listener, um, uh, said, I'm interested in that too. And so she's actually she was actually writing a, a grant proposal on this. And so yeah, I'm this is this is a really interesting area. And so we're interested in a micro from a microbial food safety perspective. And so yeah, oh yeah, this this came across my desk because of uh, somebody put it in a link in in our local affiliate uh, newsletter. And so I'm I'm super interested in this. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I want to do more. I want to do research in food safety uh, of insects and and figure out like what's what's what. So yeah, it's it's and it's and I have. I think I've talked before. Uh, when I visited New Orleans back when we could go places, there is a butterfly museum uh, right on uh, I think the the main the main street there. And then at the end of the butterfly or the insect museum, uh, they feed you insects, and it's 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 a wonderful uh, visit. So yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, we we had we used to have this thing uh, that our um, uh, state uh, uh, science and nature museum used to run called Bug Fest every year. And um, there was a lot of edible insects there too. So, um, so I, I've, I've eaten, you know, lots of mealworms and beetles uh, with with my kids who had no interest in uh, in, in eating them. But it's yeah, it's I've also got some some interest in this. Anyway, why don't we? You know what we should probably do is I'm I'm doing this as as we talk about it. Let's add this to the list of um, topics for risky or not that we might. Oh, eating insects. That's yeah, great. Eating yeah. insects. Perfect. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so, so, just, just, yeah, yeah. just a shout out to the Audubon Butter, Butterfly Garden Insectarium, which is temporarily closed, and they're moving. Um, but, uh, but yes, uh, they're on Canal Street. I, I got it right. But they're not. They won't be there later. So, 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 go when they're open, and they won't be on Canal Street. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think that's a show. That's a show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, this has been uh, this is food safety talk. This is the uh, the one that we do. That this is a show where we don't have an outro. We don't have an outro. It just ends when I uh, decide to say, uh, "Okay, Don, bye, bye." All right, so uh, insects, that's going into risky or not. That's good. Do we have – I feel like we're ahead. We're not recording this week, are we? 
on risky or not. I'm looking. No, I still got a bunch to post. Yeah, I got, I got, in fact, I got to get busy because I, uh, today's, today's, yesterday's post was one from the latest batch. And then, cause we end, cause yeah. the last one was your birthday. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I got to get busy. So I see it. I see it. Yeah. We, we have stuff in the can or like nominally recorded, uh, in, not fully in the can, but up until May 3rd. So we still have another week yep. on that. Okay, yep. cool. Um, all right. Let's see what we need to do here. Oh, thanks. By the way, thanks for all the um, feedback on that document yesterday. I have oh, yeah. not. Um, I haven't finished everything, but I am going to um, take your your suggestions, accept those, um, address a couple of comments, write another like two or three sentences on nominator and denominator and denominator. Menomina. Menomina. And then I, I think if it's like I, I'm going to drop that – table in but with all the caveats not the table okay. the chart but the second yep. one that yep. gives it in the in the yep. equal buckets yep. um yeah and i was thinking you know you could you you i was as i was laying in bed this morning i was thinking about what you could do is it's a lot of work but you could for all of the non case non out non outbreak restaurants you could also record the percent capacities there, yeah, and that could be your denominator. The problem is that's a text field, and so that's and there's there's, there's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, and so right, that's right. really messy. But that's what I would do huh, if I had time good. and resources. Well, but we have uh, we have undergraduate students that uh, yeah, clean that data that clean yeah. that data for us. Okay, no, that's that's good. That's really useful. And because if the shape if the shape of the two curves is the same, what that means essentially is that there's no difference, right? Even yes. though you have more clusters at uh, low capacity. Yeah. If it did, what that means is there's just more low capacity restaurants out there. I totally forgot that we have all that data, right? Like we have 3,500. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, Oh no, we, we don't know that. It's like, no, actually we well, do know well, it, but we you don't, some you don't know it for the world. you know yes. it for your data. Set. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Um, and then, well, and then the second phase of the case, like now that we'll have the controls as well, that also helps us like, we, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, thanks for, for all that yesterday. I appreciate it. Yep. Um, okay. So let's see today's, I've like, things kind of open up in the next little while. Like I've got, I got gaps of time, you know, all next week. Um, the week after, I don't know what's, what's real, like what's happening, but, um, so dates that would be great for me, if you wanted to record, um, I could do like Wednesday, the fifth, basically, any time before 3 p.m. I could do the Friday the 7th in the morning, although Fridays are not fantastic for you. Okay, so Wednesday the 5th, um, I have uh, a faculty meeting uh, at 3 p.m. Um, and uh, so that is also, I have this in my calendar as vaccine recovery day. <laughs> um, so... So the fourth is my second dose, and that is the first day after. Would you? So, yeah. So would you? What time is your second? What? 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 When are you getting your dose on the fourth? Three o'clock. So would you be able to do like eleven o'clock on the fourth? I've got a window from eleven until two. Oh, um, the problem now. The problem is that that is the day right. of the graduate virtual graduation for our department. So I'm I don't know what that means, but I mean I probably got to be on a video call. Would you? Okay, so let me ask you. Let me let me ask you something else. 
Um, but, but I could, here's the, here's my point. I think it would be interesting to do it on the day after my recovery. Oh yeah. Well, that's perfect then. We'll see how, yeah, I'm good with that. So, so what time would you like to do it? The, on the fifth, uh, yep. I, I would do like any time before 3 PM. So, all right. So let's do 10. 10 is perfect. Yeah. And then, uh, if I feel like shit, I'll just do, oops. Uh, well, if I feel like crap, we'll just do a show with me feeling like crap. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, all right. That's done. Fifth at 10 AM. Um, I think that's it. I am going to go. Have, do you, this, I know the show is over. Do you have a Do you have a, a, a doorbell camera? I do not, but I saw your. I saw that. No, but is it? Should, do I need one? Are you well, telling me this? Is it good? Of course, according to summer, this may come off as harsh, but anyone who has a doorbell camera should be locked up. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. If that's something you think you need, you should be locked up. And I, I, I disagree. I, <laughs> I, well, maybe. maybe I, I don't know the context of Summer's tweet, but um, other than I'm looking at it, maybe they have a, a doorbell camera because they are locked up in their house. And well, and there's a lot of people got into the this thread uh, saying, no, actually, uh, people steal my insulin if I don't have a doorbell camera. Oh, so, well, so that, that's not good. F off. Yeah. 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 And so. – uh, and I, I like having a doorbell camera. I just got anyway. So we'll save it for the next show. But okay. Oh, and we ha- we have to talk about this this thing from Deep Fed um, about Ottomans. Oh yeah. <laughs> we forgot to do that, but well, we'll we'll do that for next time for we, sure. We've got that, and then I've got the other thing. Um, this is going to be more homework, but mm-hmm. uh, FDA is coming out with a podcast on it. it it's to- I saw that. <laughs> I I I. Oof. You know how you get it, right? Um, you have to register to get the podcast. Um. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. Registration is not required, but there will be a link that they will post that we on this on the page. I'm going to send it to you right now. So you got okay. we got some homework. Uh, All right. Well, I I will listen to a, a, a FDA podcast for homework. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's it's coming. It I, try, I always feel like Frank is trying to sell me something. He might be. he's trying to sell you new era. He's just, it's, it's he's he smell he's selling you the smarter blueprint. Uh, I'm interested. I like what, what's really like, it, I, I think it's going to be okay. Um, and cause we, there's friends of the, of the show that are, that are going to talk about stuff on this, I think, but maybe our goal is to get invited to the podcast. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I could, I could do that. I, I want to be on I the do, podcast. Yeah. I, we know people, we know, I, I know Andy Kennedy and Carrie Irvin. There's lots of, lots of good people in there. Well, let's, 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 let's see how it, I'll, I, 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 I have a, I have low expectations. Let's I, see if they exceed them. <laughs> hey, just like what, what, have, what, just like our NIFA meeting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like our NIFA meeting. Yeah. Um, and it did, it worked. It, it was good. Uh, okay. I will, uh, I'm going to go make lunch and then I'm going to try and, uh, edit this, uh, before one, one o'clock. I got another, another call at one and Oh, 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 you know what I'm doing today? I'm actually going to go socially distance meet somebody for a coffee that, from the food safety world where we've Ooh. got it all set up that we're not going to be close to each other and it's going to be outdoors at a, at a Starbucks patio. Um, so it's, uh, it's someone who is, uh, who lives here in Raleigh, who does, does food safety things that, uh, for companies that we know <laughs> that I'm not, I, I don't want to like out the person. So, uh, but I'm, I, I'm going to tell you how, what it feels like to do that. Cause this is the first time in 18 months that I've done this. It's very, it, you know, I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, but, oh, 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 there was, oh, we didn't talk about this, but. Um, this is not a podcast. This no. this is a link to listen will be posted on this page. Correct. This is, this is podcast. an audio file that they're putting on the internet. It's not a podcast. Podcast coming soon. Coming. See. It's not a podcast. See this space for more it's info. It's not a podcast. The podcast has to be in Apple Podcasts to be a podcast. Do you, do you know what's, what's amazing? 
I don't know if you uh, noticed the no no. I don't know if you noticed the title of this. I'm gonna just drop it. Don't don't say it yet. Don't say it because I'm gonna. I, it's coming in a text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all right. they're using our patented paddle system. <laughs> uh, That's all right. Um, it's gonna come out quarterly, Ben. It's a quarter. It's quarterly. Yeah, quarterly. Quarterly podcast. Um, I am. Yeah. So I'm going to try and edit some, some of this, uh, okay. I, I, I've been keeping you too long. I'll let you go. No, you're all good. Uh, I'll, I will, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.